And it's a bit of a satanic experience when you're numbed out during the birth of your child. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. After doing 250-odd episodes about how to improve your health, one reoccurring theme keeps showing up when I talk to the health experts that I interview, and that is the effect on light on our body. So just like a whole food can be broken down into different vitamins and minerals, sunlight can actually be broken down into different colors. Now, just like the nutrients in whole food, each color of sunlight has its own effect on our bodies, and each color has its own unique properties and penetrates your body in different ways. So once absorbed into your body, light energy is converted into cellular energy. And this kicks off a series of metabolic events like the formation of new capillaries, elevated production of collagen, and the release of ATP. And red light therapy in particular has been approved by the FDA and its effectiveness has been studied throughout the world. So when it comes to doing the red light therapy, which is something I do just about every day, there's one device that I use and one device only because it's the best one I've found and it's called a Juve. If you want to check this out, head over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V, juve.com forward slash Luke. Once you get to that link, you're going to get a special bonus offer for them. And uh, you're going to learn everything there is to know about red light therapy. Not only do they sell these devices, they do a great job of educating you on exactly what they do and why you want to add this to your regimen. So get to juve.com forward slash Luke. If you follow me on social media, you've no doubt seen me wearing my Blue Blocks glasses. You can find them at blueblocks.com. And if you use the code lifestylist over there, you're going to save 15% off. So why do I wear these glasses? Well, during the day, even if you're in somewhere that's supposed to be healthy, like let's say a Whole Foods or even the gym, you're probably walking around under the most trash brain and eye destructive light possible, LED lights, fluorescent lights, etc. So it's really important to protect your eyes and your brain and your melatonin, et cetera, not only at night, as now many of us are learning, but also during the day. So that's why I have different color blue blocks. I'll have the ones that have lenses that are yellow, the ones at night that are more amber or even dark red. Just depends on the time of day. But I love blue blocks because they are scientifically valid and that they're blocking out the right spectrum. And they also have really well-made frames that are made in Australia, not like cheap-ass ones made in China. They're going to fall apart, etc. So they're really high quality. Another thing that's very cool is they're now doing prescriptions. So you can get reading glasses or your regular RX glasses by just uploading your script at checkout and they do the rest. You can also send them your own frames and they'll make your rad-looking glasses blue blocking. It's very cool. So again, go to blueblocks.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15% off. Also, another new product they have that's very cool is something called the Remedy Sleep Mask that you can wear once you take your blue blocking glasses off. Did you know 
that light hitting your eyes even when they're closed is enough to raise blood sugar levels and suppress melatonin? Yeah. So that's why you need a 100% blackout sleep mask. Now, this thing is awesome for travel. There's no eye pressure. It doesn't like smash your eyes like a lot of eye masks do. It gives you complete uh, darkness and that's guaranteed. And they also have free worldwide shipping, not only for the sleep mask, but also for their glasses. So I would do yourself a favor cook up some of the glasses and definitely get the uh, Remedy sleep mask as well. You can find them at blueblocks.com and you can save 15% with the code lifestylist. That's blueblocks.com. We are about to get down with some gritty reality here, folks. It's episode 308, Ending Infant Trauma, Dangers of Hospital Birth, Ultrasound and Circumcision with Janice Barcelo. This is perhaps one of the most important episodes I've ever launched, no joke. If we don't protect our newborns from harm, our species is doomed, period. So this is a topic that I'm extremely passionate about, and I can't wait to share it with you. A little about our guest before we jump into the topics. Janice Barcelo is an author, researcher, educator, and activist dedicating to exposing the dark side of the medical establishment. In her first book, Birth Trauma and the Dark Side of Modern Medicine, Janice offers a critical analysis of technological interventions during childbirth and exposes systemic abuse against infants and parents during hospital birth. This is an excellent book, you guys. I have it on my shelf. Go get it now. Birth Trauma and the Dark Side of Modern Medicine. Then in her second book, The Dark Side of Prenatal Ultrasound, Janice exposes the dangers of ultrasonic radiation in utero as well as the ever-present danger of wireless radiation that is now ubiquitous in our world. So as you know from listening to this show, uh, EMF is something I really like to build awareness about, and now especially as it pertains to our young ones. Now I want to give you a heads up here. Janice uses some pretty triggering terms in this interview like satanic and luciferian, etc. While I do not disagree, I know some of you are not used to this perspective. So I highly encourage you to research the science in her assertions. It matters not so much why our young are being abused, but rather that we admit it and stop it. Here are a few of the topics we cover in this groundbreaking episode. The dangers of birth control pills, EMF exposure to the fetus, mammogram radiation as being the cause of breast cancer rather than the prevention, things that could go wrong if you don't get an ultrasound, why fathers and family are often kept out of the room during birth, how toxic drugs like Cytotec and Pitocin are used, epidurals and why to avoid them, the harms caused by induction, what they don't tell you about cesarean section, umbilical cord clamping and how it robs babies of vital nutrients, the horrors of circumcision, incubators and how they affect babies psychologically, breastfeeding versus formula, the cause of postpartum depression and post-traumatic stress, avoiding marital breakdown after childbirth, where parents begin if they desire to have a natural birth, the meaning and role of a doula and midwife. Now, I know this sounds a little doom and gloom, and uh, <laughs> you know I'm giving you the heads up here. I'm giving you the warning. But uh, to me, recognizing the problem is the first step in finding a solution. So this is a very solution-oriented episode, but I, I did want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer there. Some of the stuff can be quite disturbing. And if you're a parent that had a child without first learning information like this, please don't feel guilty. You know, we all do what we're told by the system for the most part, and uh, we're trusting the professionals that are guiding us. But once you hear this episode, you will know. So please be mindful with the next kid if you have one. And by all means, share this with everyone you know who plans to have kids. 
And remember, you can always get the complete show notes and links to all of the research mentioned each and every week in every episode by going to lukestory.com slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com slash newsletter. I know we mention a lot of different books and resources and studies while we're having these conversations. And as a podcast listener, I find it really annoying when I can't find them afterward. So if you want to get the show notes and the links and the transcripts and all those things, again, go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. All right, now get ready to have your mind blown by our courageous guest, Janice Barcello. Janice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And I do too. I'm so stoked that I found you because this is a a topic or a series of topics that I've really been wanting to cover at depth and your experience and knowledge and expertise uh, when it comes to birth is unparalleled. And the stuff that I've read from you and heard from you on other podcasts has just blown my mind. So uh, in an effort to continue your work and amplifying your message, I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you so much. And amplify this message uh, is so important. So I guess part of my task in this life is to uh, lift the veil and help people see what's really going on, what's being done to us and our children and our families. Um, And the medical establishment is causing fundamental problems in relationships between men and women and between us and our children. So it's so important to cover this material and I'm thrilled to be able to spread the information as far as possible. Thank you. Cool. Well, I want to start with you. How did you first become aware of the shenanigans going on in our, our birthing uh, medical system, and uh, you know what was like the first wake up call for you personally that got you into this work that you're so passionate about? Well, I had um, a baby that was born not breathing, and this was a very well prepared for home birth that went wrong, and we ended up uh, with me getting rushed to one hospital and her getting rushed to another hospital. Um, And she was put in a neonatal intensive care unit. And I watched for two months and two days what they did to my baby. And it was one of the most horrifying, traumatic experiences that I could ever imagine happening to any parent. Um, And I didn't have a language to understand what was going on but I could feel the evil and I could feel the intensity. There were times when the energy was so uncomfortable that I I couldn't even stand being in my body watching what they were doing to her. It was so seriously bad. Um, And in that experience also, memories of my own birth started activating. A lot of what happened to her Uh, had also happened to me in my own birth. And it was a repetition of my own birth trauma. So when it happened, I went into post-traumatic stress. It took me at least uh, five years of extreme 
trauma, like being in a vortex of trauma that I could not pull myself out of before I actually found a teacher uh, for birth trauma. And she's the one that pretty much the work that she taught me saved my life, Jin Shin Jitsu. And it helped me with her help to understand the connections between what happens to us during our own birth and what happens when we go to give birth to our children. The same thing for the fathers, because the mothers and the fathers are bringing their own birth experiences into the birth field. And if there's unresolved trauma, which there always is if you are born in a hospital, okay, almost always, more than 98% of hospital births are considered at least moderately traumatic, and most are considered severely traumatic, okay? So if you're carrying unresolved birth trauma, when you try to give birth, this will activate. And this is what happened in my own case. Only with my daughter, the trauma was escalated to an extreme degree. So she didn't make it. They actually ended up um, killing her. And I almost didn't make it as well. But it was through the Jinshin, doing Jinshin Jitsu every day, that a lot of the resolution happened. And as the resolution, as the memories were surfacing, and as I was getting clear about the origins of what manifested in the birth of my daughter, um, I was also starting to see that what they were doing was extremely methodical. There was... In other words, deliberate trauma being inflicted on babies, not just in the NICU. In the neonatal intensive care units, it's off the charts what they're doing to those babies. And I've written about this in my book, Birth Trauma and the Dark Side of Modern Medicine. So I have to say that it took me some time to integrate all of this. I'm now more than 20 years past uh, the time of the birth of my daughter. And not only have I integrated how systematic this trauma is, but also that there's a, a satanic element to what they're doing. These are rituals that are taking place in hospitals every day. And these rituals are designed to alter us, to create um, a species that will be in service to those we call the elite, who are behind the medical establishment, who are running the medical establishment. So there's a very... Uh, heavy element to this that I don't know how, how much your listeners might know about this yet. So I kind of want to apologize up front to say this information, it can be super painful because we've all experienced this at some level. For the men, it goes even deeper. Uh, American men, that is, because of the circumcision trauma, which is the worst, in my opinion, of all 
of the of the traumas that they're purposely inflicting on us. And so I want to apologize for any pain that comes up for people as you hear what I'm about to say. And also um, to please not feel guilty about what's happened, but to understand that we are under mind control. The mind control is very deep and it starts with the um, pregnancy process. And the trauma is specifically for purposes of mind control. Yeah, well, thank you for the for the disclaimer, and I'll probably give another one when I post record the uh, the intro to this. You know, as someone who's been kind of on the fringes of media and information for a long time, uh, I don't blink when someone says something like there are satanic forces and rituals and things like that, um, because I started to dive into that type of information probably twenty years ago, and even then it was a bit novel. And I thought, well, you know, there's some bad actors in the world in terms of the people running education, finance, medical, etc. But surely it's not that dark. And you know, and listening to people like David Icke, whom I've interviewed, um, and then thinking, well, you know, it, I can go along with it to a certain point. Then it sounds a little crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. But then what's come to light in recent years, especially in the past couple of years with the child trafficking and just, you know, the, the, the overt mind control of mainstream media and so many of these things that used to sound like conspiracy theories would be labeled that way are now actually coming to fruition or coming to light. And so um, I would like to encourage anyone that, feels a bit shocked by that that languaging that whether or not you go along with you know that there are nefarious intentions there the facts that you're about to uh, unveil are well researched and and I'd like to talk about like what happens when you get pregnant what happens when you go to have the baby what happens after you have the baby just standard operating procedures and if people want to read something deeper into that they can uh, I'm of the belief that there are some you know, I don't like using the term evil, but there are some people that are devoid of empathy and devoid of love that are in very powerful positions and that have set up the entire world system. And um, and that's become increasingly clear to me, as has the <laughs> the absolute insanity of how babies are born, which is why, again, I was so excited to talk to you. So yeah, yeah. it's just like any, anything I look at, when I look at nature and how things are done in nature. And then I look at how humans have devolved or been devolved by these influences. It's no wonder that so many people are crazy and we have mass shooters and drug addicts and alcoholics and pedophiles and you know people with all of these different mental disorders and mental illness and all this. It's like, uh... You know, leave alone the generational trauma, but let's look what happens to you as you're coming into this world. It's like, it's so wonder all of us don't turn into sociopaths. So it's just true. I feel like after all the shit I've been through in my life, I'm be above ground, but to actually have, you know, been shown the grace to have a life that I think is benefiting more people than harming is a real gift. But man, it took a long time to get here. So anyway, I get, yeah, yeah. But um, let's talk about, uh, if we can, and I know, you know, we only have a little bit of time here and this is, you know, 20 years worth of your work. So it might take us five episodes and, I, and I'll do it if we have, <laughs> uh, want to get as much of an overview in here as we can today. So starting with, you know, before a woman gets pregnant, uh, you know, many women have been on the pill or on the pill, then they stop and get pregnant right away. 
Um, they're having mammograms. You know, there's things that are going on with the woman's sexual organs and physiology within the medical system paradigm before they even conceive. So can you give us some of the things that may, we might want to avoid uh, pre-pregnancy? Some of the low-hanging fruit of the really gnarly shit? So it's like what you said, okay? The birth control pills are changing your body and your hormones so much that you can um, become attracted to a person that you would otherwise be repulsed by. Um, it's kind of like uh, what perfumes and colognes do. They contain pheromones that interfere with smell. And smell is a, a very important way that we know if a person is immunologically and genetically appropriate match for us. If we don't like their smell, obviously we should not be with them. But if they're wearing perfume or cologne, it's get, it gets confused, you see. So we can be attracted to people we'd be repulsed by. And this is what happens with birth control pills. Um, it's one of the many things that are a problem in terms of creating what I'm going to say are false unions. There are millions of them occurring right now. People who are not with the right person that is for them. And this is a core piece of uh, the breakdown over time of relationships because we're not with the right person to begin with. Of course, we've all been so um, beaten down in terms of self-esteem, that we're settling for a lot less than um, what what we should be calling to ourselves, because uh, we don't think we can attract something that's that worthy. Um, there's a lot going on there, and the topic of sexuality and how we're drawn to each other. This is a, a full-on interview on the topic of sexuality, but to to quickly say that we are being conditioned. This has been a well-planned system of getting people to be drawn to each other based on physical attraction and carnal impulses, carnal desire. So if we look at somebody and we think they're physically attractive and we're feeling uh, some sensation in our genitals that makes us want to get with them, We're in a society that says that's good and that's okay and you should do it because the ultimate goal is the orgasm. So go ahead and do it. But you see, the problem there is what we call sexuality is actually life-creating energy. It's designed to create life. And although we have been taught that we can separate it from its life-creating potential. In other words, that we can use that energy just for physical pleasure. And we've even been taught that, yes, that's what God really wants and designed us to have lots and lots of physical pleasure. That's what's important. Forget that life stuff. Forget creating life. Take your birth control pills. If you, you know, use your condoms. If you have an accident and you, you get pregnant, kill the baby, right? Have an abortion. This is really what's going on in our society right now. We've come so far from the divine path that we're murdering children, our own children, and we're often conceiving them uh, with people we do not love and who do not love us. And of course, the children who are conceived as a side effect of fleshy gratification 
are immediately, their link with the divine mind is immediately broken because of that approach to, to conception. You see, there's no way that they can come in with, um, in the design of our creator because they've been created through carnality, which is really in the Luciferian realm. Okay, and this is a very deep topic. And it's one that we, we should talk about at a later date. But suffice to say, there are so many children on this earth right now who were not wanted, who were in wombs where they were not wanted. Many, many have been killed. Okay. The ones that made it through, like myself, okay, have imprinting that affects our ability to attract authentic love. Because our first imprint was one of rejection from our mother and perhaps from our father as well. You know, when they discovered my presence in the womb, it was not welcoming. It was not a um, a motion of joy or we're so glad you're here, what every baby needs and deserves to experience when they first arrive in the womb. On the contrary, it's one of rejection. It's thoughts of, should I kill this this baby? Should I kill you? Um, And this stays, this is an imprint that will affect you for your entire life unless you bring it to consciousness. They call this discovery shock. This is in uh, pre- and perinatal psychology. There's many, many things that can happen in the womb that can cause prenatal trauma. And being unwanted or having an experience when you're discovered in the womb where your mother's like, oh, shit. You know, now what am I going to do? You see, this gets stuck in the body because you don't have the emotional capacity to process that you're not loved or wanted. This is totally contradictory to what um, our, our divine birthright is. And often this imprint gets lodged in the lungs because our lungs are developing around the time that we're discovered, usually six to eight weeks. So you find people with um, chronic bronchitis, pneumonia, asthma, smoking addictions, okay? So you smoke in order to suck back, suck down those unresolved feelings of not being wanted. There's tremendous pain from this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. If if I went deep just into the prenatal stuff, what can happen (laughs) That's a whole show, okay? Uh, There's so many things. Well, I think I, I actually, I, I would like to do a show uh, in the future with you where we really go into the human sexuality piece and the sex yeah. with and without love. And also, I know you do a lot of stuff about pornography too, yes. which I think, you know, having worked with a lot of men over the past couple of years that are wanting to develop themselves spiritually, that's something that's really come to light um, in, in our community as well. And not, you know, from a moral standpoint, but just... A mental health and healthy relationship standpoint. So I think that um, you're right. It really is its own thing because as we learn more about and embrace healthy relationship with our sexuality, that's inherently, 
obviously the seed of life that's going to then be carried down um, through the generations to follow. And as you said, they're going to be imprinted, right? These, these memories are what we call imprints, right? So they're pre-verbal, which means they really are um, cellular memories. It's not that we always have them in the intellectual part of our minds, right. but they're still, they're, they're still cellular memories and they do affect our experience in life and our behavior. And, you know, there's a lot going on with, um, with the imprinting in the womb and at birth that's all preverbal and Got has it. very long-term impact. Got it. Um, this this brings to mind this uh, thing that I've heard where women will you know put headphones on their tummy and play beautiful classical music to the baby and things like that. Like there are positive things that you can do, obviously too. But I guess unless we're taught those, uh, that's not going to happen. We're just going to go go about our life. So in terms of uh, when a woman finds out she's pregnant, what's What's kind of if she's just going full on Western allopathic medicine? What's the first thing that's going to happen? You know, she misses her cycle, and then she's like, "Oh, I might be pregnant." Does a pregnancy test, goes to see her doctor. Then what is the what is the sequence of events that would take place in a typical American pregnancy? Well, the sequence of events would involve something like we're going to do some testing on you. We're going to take your blood and deplete the baby's precious blood supply and oxygen supply by repeatedly taking your blood every time you come in, you know, uh, for prenatal, what we call prenatal care. We're going to do some invasive testing, maybe like amniocentesis or um, corioivilla sampling to make sure you don't have any birth defects. We're going to expose you to the, ultrasound. How are those tests done, the first two that you just mentioned there that check for birth defects? Well, without going too deep, um, with amniocentesis, for example, they stick a needle in through the mother's stomach and in through the amniotic sac into the baby, you not the baby's body, but the baby's little pouch there and take some liquid out of it. Um, so this is a very dangerous procedure for a number of reasons. It can cause miscarriage, but particularly if you're an, if you're an RH negative mama, you do not want to have people poking around inside your body with needles because if there's a puncture and your blood mixes with your baby's blood, your baby can end up dead if your baby happens to be RH positive. Wow. Okay, so RH negative mothers have, um, have particular challenges to deal with in terms of this medical uh, model, because they're also going to be you know, told that they need to take Rogam shots and all this nasty stuff. Um, which which causes problems. Which this is a whole other. <laughs> I want to get into the birth stuff because I think this is the most critical for tonight. Yeah. Um, but all of the testing that they do is invasive and and potentially extremely harmful. And really, if they find a problem, let me just cut right to the chase here. If they find a problem, there's not a thing that they can do about it. 
they're not going to be able to get in there and fix your baby. If they find your baby under ultrasound has very severe birth defects, they're not going to go in there and fix your baby. It's very, very rare that there's anything that they're going to be able to do for your baby. And so your only option is going to be to kill your baby through abortion. Okay. Or, or the other option is just to have a baby and have a baby with whether, whatever defects are presenting at that time. And right. I can tell you that many people have gone ahead to have their babies and their babies are fine despite these horrific diagnoses oh, wow. that they've been handed through the ultrasound, especially. Okay. And, and the stress that's caused during pregnancy through these tests, through this testing. Okay. Not to mention the, the interruption in bonding when the parents have been terrorized that they're going to lose their baby or give birth to a very sick and damaged child. Okay. It definitely interferes with bonding, which needs to begin it needs to begin before conception. I mean, right now, if you want to have a baby and you're with your beloved, you should be talking with your beloved and talking to your baby, you know, communicating with your, your forthcoming child right now, before you even bring your body together to bring this child in, the bonding should begin. Like you, you have a clear sense of what kind of child you want to bring to this world mm -hmm. and how much you want to contribute you know, to the divine um, fulfillment of love on earth by bringing in a special child. It's like you, you can be right now in communication with God to say, I really want to serve the good. I want to serve love. I want to bring a special child here with my beloved. And both you and your beloved can be on the same page with this and talking to this being and saying, we can't wait. You know, till yeah. you get here, we're going to prepare everything for you. Even before we bring our bodies together, we're going to prepare a very special space for you to come in, to conceive you in, to gestate you in, to birth you in. We're going to prepare ourselves every step of the way before we even bring our bodies together so that we can make it so good for you to come here. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I love the way that you that you look at that. And having been a meditator for many years and had some pretty fantastic experience within that and also doing different plant medicines and things like that, I've absolutely <laughs> seen subjectively that there's another world other than this physical world and that you can communicate with energies, entities, intelligence, God, call it what you will on the other side of this limited perspective. You know, the bandwidth of our reality is so narrow in terms of the potentiality of what's actually happening and what's there. So I love, I love that. And that was a really good takeaway uh, for me personally. I'm going to remember that. You know, one thing you might want to do is to mm -hmm. see, if you see a picture of a child on the internet or anywhere that seems like, you know, that child kind of looks like you and kind of reminds you of, of the, the kind of look that you expect that your child may have. Keep that picture. Okay, keep it handy and look at that picture. Maybe even keep it, if you want to have a child, this is, maybe even keep it as a screensaver. And when that picture of that child pops up on your screen, see that as your, your future child and talk to the child. Hmm, interesting. You know? 
<laughs> I'm like, but wait, that's someone else's. <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's not like you're there thinking carnal thoughts. You know, you're thinking loving thoughts about your future child. So, yeah, I don't mean to influence people in a negative no, way. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, you know, I do visualization with the home that I want or somewhere I want to travel or something like that. And yes. I'm not trying to get that person's house, you know, when I visualize that. Right. House. Yeah. right. It's just a house like that, you know, so. Exactly. Makes, exactly it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, let's go into the ultrasound piece because, you know, y- y- like myself, you're someone that's sensitive to EMFs and very EMF aware. I've, you know, looked on some of your blog posts and things like that. And you're definitely um, outspoken, as am I, about this plague on the planet. Um but what I found most um, terrifying, quite frankly, about your work, and I suspected that ultrasounds weren't good because it's not natural to be able to see through skin, like straight up. It's like an x-ray. And then I started you know, listening to some of your podcasts and stuff, and I'm like, wow, this ultrasound thing in and of itself, if that was the only thing we did that was unnatural in the process of having a child in and of itself would be really bad. So what's the deal with ultrasounds and what happens if we just don't do them? Well, we haven't done them for the last several millennia. (laughs) And everybody did just fine in terms of bringing children into this world, despite what the medical establishment feeds us a bunch of lies about how all the babies and mothers were dying. We wouldn't be here if that were true. Um, Ultrasound is radiation. This is just point blank. That's what it is. We've been lied to and told that it's just sound waves. It is not. It is radiation. Um, it's of a lower band, you know, frequency than X-rays, but it's the same energy. Okay, it's called non-ionizing radiation. And whenever you expose a living thing to technologically produced frequencies that are radiation-emitting frequencies, you're going to disturb the development of that living thing. All living things are affected by these technologically produced frequencies and radiation. Babies, of course, are the most vulnerable because they're in developmental stages. So when you expose a baby to ultrasound, especially early in pregnancy, the chances that the baby will have bad results are very high. And you may not see those results when the baby is born. Okay, it's the kind of thing where, you know how radiation causes infertility? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know how cell phones are causing infertility, especially yeah. male infertility? So this is something your baby may be born with, that it is infertile. And you won't know that your child is infertile until they're 20-ish. So they come of childbearing age and they try to have children and they can't. So it's, it's a, with radiation damage, it's very insidious because you may not see it right away. It may take 5, 10, 15 years for cancer to develop or any one of a number 
of radiation emitting, uh, radiation induced diseases. Does a, does, a, does a female fetus already have her eggs intact? Yes. Wow. So not, only, not only are you irradiating the mother and the baby that's in the womb, but all of her eggs, all the mother's eggs and all of that baby's eggs, if that baby is a girl. Okay? Yeah. So we also know that radiation causes genetic damage. And we also know that um, many autistic children have genetic damage, what's called de novo genetic mutations. These are new. De novo means new. And that means that the genetic mutation has not been in the family before. It's showing up for the first time in the child who has the genetic mutation. So the medical establishment will tell you that these de novo mutations are happening spontaneously. And I'm going to tell you that is bullshit. They are happening because of radiation exposure, both in the womb and throughout the birth process, because those fetal heart monitors, those Doppler fetal heart monitors, where they listen to the heart, and also that they strap around the mother's body during pregnant, during childbirth, for sometimes hours at a time. This is radiation. So this heart monitor is another level of radiation beyond even the ultrasound then? The heart monitors are usually Doppler. Okay. Okay, so Doppler is heavy duty. Isn't Doppler like radar? Yes. It's heavy duty, heavy duty pulsed frequencies. Wow. That, you know, we know the pulsed frequencies that are coming off of our cell phones, for example, will cause heart irregularities. These pulses are coming off smart meters, a number of a number of devices. Yeah. So it disrupts the electrical signaling, the pulsed frequencies of the body. We are electrical beings. Okay. Our entire development is based on our on the on the electromagnetic connection to the earth and to our source, okay, the the natural frequencies that assist us and support us and enable us to communicate with the divine mind. And in come these artificial frequencies, if I tell you how they're created, I mean, it's unbelievable violence. And here they come, right, attacking babies as they're developing, how can this possibly be good? Keep in mind that these things were developed as weapons from the get-go. Ultrasound <clears throat> was developed as a naval weapon. They used it in submarines to detect submarines in the ocean. Okay, this is a, these are war technologies. These are weapons. They have been from their inception, all wireless technologies, all non-ionizing and ionizing technologies are obviously weaponized. 
Wow. What about the element of sound? When I hear the word ultrasound, it sounds really loud. Does this have any correlation between babies being born with hearing loss and things like that? Yeah, because it's so loud to a baby in the womb, especially because the water amplifies the frequencies. So it's been recorded at 120 decibels in the womb. That's like being in a subway station when the trains are coming in. That's how loud it is. And it's not only is it like damaging for the ears, but it's traumatizing. Babies will try to get away from it. They'll start bouncing all over the place. You know, a lot of mothers will tell you they could tell that their babies were very disturbed by the ultrasound. You know, although the medical people will tell you that's just normal and isn't that cute, you know, how the baby's putting up its hands and going, please, you know, <laughs> leave me alone. You're, you're terrorizing me. Um, some babies will dissociate in the womb. I've heard interviews with two-and-a-half-year-old child, okay, saying um, there was thunder in the womb. It was really loud thunder, and she had to get away from the thunder, so she went up in the clouds. And then the thunder went away. This means she dissociated. She left her body in utero. Just left her body there in order to get away from what they were doing to the body. Of course, a two-and-a-half-year-old has no language to understand this. Most people don't because they don't understand satanic ritual abuse and that the purpose is to cause dissociation so that alter personalities can be created that will be in service to the dark side. What is the stated benefit of of ultrasound to to determine the gender, to determine... uh, you know, the health of the fetus, like what's the official record of like, hey, the doctor says this is why we need this ultrasound. And what what is the risk of, you know, <laughs> to me, the risk is getting an ultrasound, even yeah. just one, uh, based on on my research and, and hearing yours. But, you know, what's the official narrative if you go to the doctor and say, I don't want an ultrasound, what are they going to try to scare you with that is going to make you want to do it? Like what's the what's the the uh, designated benefit of it, if any. Well, they give you a whole list. And I put this list in my ultrasound book so that people could see all the things they're saying. So let me just quickly say, if they say they're going to do it to determine the sex, if I told you that they're using ultrasound to stop sperm production, it literally stops sperm production, two 15-minute blasts to the adult male scrotum, and you have a minimum of six months in fertility. Okay, and the infertility can be permanent. What do you think is happening to the developing testes and ovaries of your children when they direct that ultrasound beam at the genitals to discover the sex? Wow. Okay? Damn. Damn is right. And it's a very, 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 very deep. They can also uh, cause complete sterility by um, extreme heating in the adult male genitals. They can actually block off the vas deferens by using ultrasound. It burns, it cauterizes, and blocks the vas deferens so that the sperm cannot get through to the penis. It's a permanent form of sterility. 
that they can cause with the use of ultrasound. So if a mother that's pregnant decides to forego ultrasounds altogether, what are the potential risks, if any, of never taking a look uh, through the you know, transparent stomach made possible by the ultrasound? Like, like My what? personal opinion, there, there are no benefits, but none. But what they will tell you is we have to look to make sure where your placenta is. You know, just uh, 50 years ago, midwives could actually feel, they could palpate the womb and see where your baby's head is, where your placenta is. You don't have to have a freaking x-ray to determine where these things are if you have any skill as a midwife, which most midwives don't have anymore because they've come to be part of the medical establishment that uses these wicked technologies to peer inside the womb. This is a form of surveillance of the baby and they'll come right out and call it fetal surveillance. (laughs) They do. This is all in my book. This is all in the ultrasound book. They're not, they're not hiding what they're doing, but they're just very clever at trying to convince people that you need this. And they'll even get so um, uppity about it that they won't let take you on as a patient. If you refuse to have ultrasound. I've seen midwives turn people away because they refuse to have ultrasound. And in a healthy pregnancy, how many sessions of ultrasound is typically given? Well, it depends on, you know, who you're going to. I mean, I've seen statistics where people are receiving 10 to 15 in one pregnancy. And it's much worse if they, if they tell you you're high risk. They might tell you to come in every two weeks or something like that during your pregnancy. Wow. My personal opinion, and you'll understand why if, you, if I tell you enough about what they're doing, uh, is to avoid them like the plague. Avoid the medical establishment like the plague. Yeah. Do I not. Think, <laughs> I think based on my research and experience, they, they are the plague. And that leads me to my next question. And that is, you know, as I was alluding to earlier that it's become more clear to me that there are, in fact, people or entities in charge of many of the world systems that lack empathy, lack love, uh, are, are based on selfish agendas, greed, power, control, you know, some of those innate human tendencies that many of us learn how to overcome as we evolve. And I guess there are many in power that haven't or won't. Um, And to me, it seems that systemically in that pyramid structure that the few at the top, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, et cetera, now the Bill Gates, the George Soros, like all these kind of Darth Vader figures that have immense power and unlimited resources have built these systems, the banking system, you know, the financial system of the world, the education system, which is just absolutely, you know, in America, just complete brainwashing and indoctrination and it's getting worse and worse. So in the medical system, but I also know doctors personally that are really beautiful, conscious, kind people and would never knowingly do anything to hurt a, a mother or her offspring. So, you know, it's like, it seems as though at the top of the power structure, the people that designed these systems and took a military grade weapon and said, yeah, let's point this at pregnant women's stomach and tell them they have to have it. Um, It's like 
the people on the bottom are just good people that work at the hospital, your nurses, your your doctors, and they're just doing kind of what they've been told or what they've been taught. So is it not really just a systemic issue where not everyone is knowingly hurting babies, right? No, um, many of them are under mind control. In fact, medical school is a, an indoctrination of, of trauma-based mind control. You know, medical, this is also in my birth trauma book. You're going to read about it because I'm going to send you a copy. I can't wait. Um, but the medical, when you're in medical school, you are deliberately sleep deprived, nutrition deprived, sunlight deprived. Um, you're, you're conditioned to do some of the most horrific things to people's bodies and to babies' bodies. And to um, to learn how to dissociate, basically, so that you can become part of the medical cult. Wow, that's so yeah. interesting. And so, so by that mechanism, then you have good people that are caring, loving people that have a family, and they're they went into medicine with the intention of wanting to help people and heal people, uh, but because. There's no, or I won't say no way, but it's difficult to get through that system unscathed because you're adopted into this model that is inherently stripping you of your common sense and what you know to be true, that it's difficult for people to slip through. So even if they're well-meaning and have no intention and, and heard a conversation like this and thought us two are a couple of nut jobs, you know, um, they're, they're unknowingly doing this harm. But then there are also people that are setting the system up and at the higher chains of command that know exactly what they're doing and they do in harm. Yeah. There are many, many Satanists within the medical system, point blank. There are. Um, and there are good intentioned people who are operating from a place of mind control. And if you say to them, for example, cord clamping is very harmful to an incoming baby and you should look at the science behind what this is doing to the baby. They all vehemently argue with you about it, having never looked at the science, but because they've become part of the cult and because they've inflicted this kind of damage on infants. And so it's kind of like a similar reaction might happen to a mother or father when they discover what circumcision really is. Right. They, may, they may completely go off on you and get very angry and, and tell you that it's beneficial. It's beneficial to cut off a healthy body part, especially the one that is designed to trigger the male brain to produce neurochemicals of love and bonding. It's good. It's good to cut that off. <laughs> you know what's funny about that, is. <laughs> The episode I did, God, it was probably three years ago, I did with uh, Brendan Moroda, the director of the film. Yes, yes, I know who he is. And yeah, great guy, very knowledgeable. The film just, I mean, it was actually, it was really depressing, to be honest, as a male who was circumcised when I saw that film, it was pretty traumatizing because I realized what had been done to me. I never even thought about it because it's just, you look like the other kids in the locker room and I'm like, well, at least I'm not the weird kid over there who hasn't been mutilated. You know, I mean, that was my perspective exactly. as a kid. Exactly. Uh, but after that film, but what was interesting when I did that episode, uh, it, was, it was a popular show at the time. People liked it, especially women. But what was interesting is the pushback I got were from men 
who had been circumcised. Of course. All the women got it. They were like, oh, this is horrible. I would, I'm never going to circumcise my kid. And, and men were like defending it. And it had happened to them. And it was, it was like a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing where I'm like, dude, like do a little research, watch the part of the, and I would implore anyone to go to the show notes and, and, you know, listen to the episode and watch that film. But there's a part of the film where they show a standard operation of a circumcision. And it is absolutely, I mean, you were use the word satanic. There would be no other way to describe that. Exactly. And I'm like, how does any adult male with a rational brain watch that film or that part of that film and go, no, no, this needs to happen. Like, what is wrong with you? The psyche psyche has been completely assaulted by this. And there's no way, you know, when you had that done to you as an infant, to try to imagine that your parents would let that happen to you without asking a single question. And then to say that this was bad. Not only bad, but extremely harmful is is just over the top for a lot of men to to integrate, and it may take years. So it's a cognitive dissonance kind of thing. Hugely doesn't compute. It's It's like deep deep emotional trauma and pain that there's no way to reconcile in that moment. So they'll deny it. They'll deny that it is trauma, right? And they'll deny that it's harmful. They'll tell you it's beneficial. You know, I have tremendous compassion for, I have much less compassion actually for people like my own mother who also allowed that to happen to my brother and refuses to apologize and instead says she thought that what she was doing is right and she'd probably do the same thing again because she thought it was right. So even when you find out it's not, you know, to try to like not deal with what you did. Yeah. You just say, I would probably do it again because that's what I believe is right. That's tough, you know, because the, the basis of forgiveness, it comes a lot easier when the transgressor has made amends and admitted that they made a mistake. You know, the <laughs> forgiveness is kind of just inherent to that conversation. But if there's a denial and a refusal to take responsibility or at least to acknowledge that something might have harmed you, it's difficult for both parties to move past it. Uh, I've heard stories so many times from my, my clients, my friends, people that have had massive trauma, you know, in NICUs, being in incubators, things like this, and realizing that this has affected their relationship with their mother, for example, their capacity to bond with their mother. When they bring it to their mothers, you know, their mothers get really upset like, how dare you say that, that I wasn't a loving mother? I've tried all my life to be a loving mother. Totally missing the point that the bonding has been interrupted and that this, your child is feeling that it, he or she is not loved because of that interrupted bonding. So instead of the mother saying, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, I never wanted to hurt you and I wish that that never happened and what can we do to try to heal the bond the bond wound you know we have mothers doing the opposite I want to jump into some of the other 
standard procedures in birth. You mentioned cord clamping. What What's the stated purpose of that? And what happens if you do it versus don't do it? Shall we go through the whole... Do it, yeah. The birth process? Let's do it. Because I'm, I'm clueless. I've, I'm 49. I've not had kids yet. So okay. I know nothing about it except, you know, having, knowing a friend and they get married and they have a kid. And then, you know, that's that I'm not part of the process at all. So I, I really have no idea other than just studying you know, health and wellness over the years and, and getting a little glimpse, but I don't have a firsthand experience other than my own birth and some of the mishaps uh, therein. Well, we can take a, a pretty good dive into what they're doing with cord clampings coming a little bit later in the birth process, cool. but I think it will help to have a Let's sort of chronological order to it. Um, so I will start with um, the process of induction. Okay, induction is basically a medically induced premature birth. Okay, so pay attention to the word induction because military people are inducted into the military and police are inducted into the police academy. It's an initiation, okay, into some type of cult. They chose that word purposefully, induction. Well, it's interesting too, looking at the the word as induce, when you induce a response, right? It's something that's induced inherently means it's not natural because it's it's not unfolding in and of itself. You're inducing something, you're forcing something to happen. So yeah, it's a medically forced premature birth. So the baby is not ready to be born. Um, otherwise, you would have gone into labor naturally. And the medical establishment says, up, oh, you know, according to our clock here, <laughs> you should have gone into labor. Um, if you're not in labor by such and such a time and such and such a day, we're going to force it. Or they're going to make up some story about how you have an aging placenta and they have to induce your baby or... Um, you don't have enough water, you know, you don't have enough fluid, and the amniotic sac is too old. They're gonna they make up any one of a number of things for to convince people that they need to um, go into a hospital and have the medical system inflict all kinds of interesting drugs to try to force the baby to come out. Okay. So, and this is all before the baby is born. So in a normal birth, in a natural birth, the baby has dominion over when it's born. It will um, signal the mother's body that it's ready. And the mother's body will begin producing the neurochemicals of birth and the birth process will ensue. It's up to the baby, literally, in a natural birth when it's time to be born. So with an induction, that is being stolen. The baby's dominion over its own birth, and that's an imprint. That's something out there is trying to control my destiny or interfere with my destiny. And that something does not have my best interests at heart. Okay? Babies know this. They can feel it. They might not have an intellectual understanding, but they sense evil 100%. Okay, so now the, what they're going to do is something called an amniotomy. Usually, the babies are in an amniotic sac. It's a watery sac. 
that surrounds the baby and protects the baby. It's like padding. Yeah. So um, during the labor process, when there's contractions, that watery sac is sort of a buffer from the intensity of contractions until very late in labor when the water would naturally break. Okay. But they're going to go ahead and break it. Okay. So now the baby has no protection at all from the intensity of contractions that are going to be caused by a drug called Pitocin. Ah, uh, yeah. Pitocin is synthetic oxytocin. Now, natural oxytocin is the hormone of love and bonding. It's the hormone that allows for the letdown of breast milk, It's the hormone that will allow for the baby and the mother to bond, natural oxytocin. When you put artificial chemical oxytocin into the mother's body, it tricks the mother's body and undermines her ability to produce natural oxytocin, which is going to undermine her ability to experience the neurobiology of love at birth and also her babies. Okay. And it's going to undermine breastfeeding. This is just one drug. Wow. And is, and is this Pitocin when this is given to the mother, this is to induce labor then, right? Or one of the things? Yes. The amniotic, the amniotomy, the breaking of the water, that's going to make intense contractions that are going to try to push the baby out. The and drug itself. Does the potential does the potent also get into the bloodstream of the baby? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Of course. Yeah. Baby's bloodstream is shared with the mother. Wow. All right. So all of the drugs that the mother is receiving, the baby is receiving amplified because the drugs are giving it a dose that's appropriate for the mother. But the point, you know, the point with Pitocin is that it, it, you know, in a natural birth, a contraction will occur, all right? You'll have a resting period, and then slowly the energy will build in a contraction. It'll peak, it'll ease off, and the body will rest. And then a little while later, it'll start picking up again, The contraction will peak, it'll ease off, and the body will rest. But with Pitocin, the contractions are like a a freight train steamroller, one after another, after another, after another. They are nonstop so that the uterus is turned into a trash compactor instead of a birth portal. Literally, you have contraction, 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 contraction that are smashing the baby. And this is compounded by the fact that that sack that the baby's been cushioned by has been deflated because that fluid's been released from it. So now it's just the pressure of all of her internal organs are directly on the baby, whereas they would have had a buffer. They would have had a much softer experience if the amniotic fluid was still surrounding the baby. Some babies are actually born in the amniotic sac. 
which is miraculous when you see that, you know, because that means the birth was really gentle. And these children are said to have a very important destiny. Um, but you very would hardly ever see that in a hospital birth because of these drugs and because of what they're doing. So they, they often will use the breaking of the waters or the full-on amniotomy to speed up labor. Um, and unfortunately, it, it causes pain for the baby. And it's well known that Pitocin causes fetal distress. Well, it's no wonder if you've got contractions that are happening at such an intense level. And any mother that has Pitocin can tell you, you know, they think that that's normal to have labor feel that kind of pain. That's not normal. That's the drug. The drug makes women feel sick. It makes women feel cold. I mean, you know it when you get this drug. It's not a good feeling. Okay. And it's not meant to be. It's meant to cause trauma to both the mother and child. And if they give you enough Pitocin, there's something that they call pit to distress, where doctors will give nurses orders to actually put that Pitocin all the way up in order to deliberately distress the baby. So that they can say, the baby's distressed, we have to move to an emergency C-section. Oh, damn. Yeah. And nurses have blogged about this, this pit to, pit to distress order. So this is going on, okay, that they're deliberately traumatizing babies because they want to get to the C-section already. C-sections have a myriad of benefits for the doctor, not the least of which are financial and getting out of there so they can get to their golf game. But also if they are part of the Luciferian uh, structure, C-sections are part of a, a satanic ritual. But we're jumping ahead of the game. So if you get Pitocin, the other thing they might give you is side attack. Cytotec is actually an ulcer drug that's being used off-label. Actually, it's being used against label in labor. It's not supposed to be used during labor because it can cause a miscarriage condition. But they deliberately use this drug because they want to make the cervix just open and the baby fall out. That's the whole point. Okay, <laughs> it's a very dangerous drug. So Cytotec can actually cause uterine rupture, which or amniotic fluid embolism, which will immediately kill the mother. So wow. these drugs are highly, highly dangerous and damaging to the baby and the mother. It's just so cra- it's so crazy. We're not even we're not even close to the vaccines yet, and it's like oh no, oh no, we haven't even gotten into the birth process yet. Uh, it's this like is just, oh, just the attempt to get the baby, force the baby out. God, it's crazy. And out of out of all these things that we're going through, I mean, I'm assuming you know, I've thankfully knock on wood, have not spent too much time in a hospital, but the couple times that I have, you know, every drug they give you, every test you do, anything they do is another line item on that bill. Yep. So I'm assuming in the monetized standard birth process that we're going through here that each of these line items is another, you know, 250 bucks for this shot, such and such amount for the C-section. And they're just racking up cash at the same time. Again, not because all doctors are evil, but because the system is set up to make money, not to make happy, healthy mothers and babies, right? So are all these no. things going to be an add-on cost? 
Um, that I don't know, you know, if they're itemizing it or if they've given these women a, a set price for the birth. Right. Certainly C-sections are very expensive. I, I've seen prices, $50,000, you know. Okay. Um, so, but these are rituals. These, these are the standard protocols that they're going to do what I'm about, what, what I'm sharing with you. Okay. Okay. They're going to, a mother can say no at any time, but they're not going to make it easy. Yeah. For people to say no, you got to be super educated yeah. and super prepared. And it helps to have a doula who understands what I'm saying to you and will try to stand up for the mother, the baby, and the father. Got it. Okay. Very important. So, what happens next if we've been given so, Pitocin, the cytotech? Where does the epidural come in? Is that part well, of the. The epidural is going to come in because the mother's going to be going, holy shit, this is intense. These contractions, you know, these steamroller one after another, after another, nonstop. I can't take this. Please, I need some kind of pain relief, right? <laughs> so in comes the epidural. Now, what's the epidural? The epidural is going to, it's anesthesia. It's going to numb the mother's body ideally, from the waist down. So she can't feel her body at all. She can't feel her baby. She can't even roll over without people moving her. She certainly can't stand up or get into a squatting position to help her baby get born. She can't spiral her body. All the things you need to be doing in labor, walking, Squatting, all of this is out. You're in bed. And people have to help you move because you can't feel your body. And that in itself is extremely disorienting. Okay, and it's a bit of a satanic experience when you're numbed out during the birth of your child. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Yo, I am super pumped to share with you beekeepersnaturals.com. Now, if you heard episode 175 with founder and CEO Carly Stein, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are the highest quality bee products in the world from Beekeepers Naturals. Now, I've been using bee products for a long time. Back in the 90s, I was rocking like the bee pollen and and, you know, using kind of gourmet honey over the years and things like that. But until that interview, honestly, I had no idea of the superpowers and the variety of different bee products. So not only do these guys make the cleanest, most organic, most potent bee products, they also have the widest variety of products. So whether it's propolis, which helps you with the immune system, um, soothing scratchy throats, it's really potent stuff, or the bee pollen, which is a superfood with vitamins and nutrients and gives you energy. It has amino acids and protein, whether it's the raw honey, the royal jelly. Uh, they even have a tonic for your brain. I mean, they have a lot of great products over there. So if you're not hip to the power of bee products as a superfood, I want to highly recommend that you get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. And honestly, if you want to just learn all about bees in the industry and how it's done and how it's done right for ecology and for the environment, definitely go back and listen to episode 175. It's a, it's a great episode and 
The founder, Carly, is just brilliant, and she's running a really great operation over there. So I'm very happy to support them on the show. And uh, like all the stuff I always talk about, I use them every day. In fact, I use it too much because I run out of it. Like when I interviewed her, I was like, so I do like a couple tablespoons of the bee powered, which is the really potent one that combines all of the superfoods in the hive into one product. She's like, dude, the dose for that is half a teaspoon once a day. You're tripping. But, you know, I'm hardcore Uh, because it just tastes delicious and it gives you like instant energy. So definitely get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. When you're there, if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST, that's one word, LIFESTYLIST, you'll save 15% off your order. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST. And now back to the interview. And so are babies that are born under the influence of epidermal, are, uh, are, are epidural, are they... Uh, are they born like high and numb? I mean, is the ba- you know the baby's getting the mother's dose of that? If you imagine the size of your average mother as compared to their their uh, baby, you know, is that baby then set up for? I don't know if it's a dopamine receptor painkiller, what kind of painkiller it is, but is is that in any way setting the baby up for a cascade of uh, drug problems later in life, or you know, are they getting like intoxicated in this moment? The pitocin is setting the baby up for that because it's disrupting the baby's oxytocin receptor sites because there's no real oxytocin in the mother's body. Generally, there's hardly any because pitocin has been introduced. So if the baby's oxytocin receptor sites are damaged, and this will influence that that baby who's going to become an adult, their ability to, to... have their bodies produce oxytocin and to experience love, you see. So they'll, they're going to be having an experience of euphoria, perhaps, because of the Pitocin mm-hmm. or, or Demerol. Demerol would be a perfect example of a euphoria, which is an artificially induced state of well-being that comes through drugs that are... Demerol is given at birth sometimes. Wow. If you're born on Demerol, right, your imprint is not going to be for human love. Demerol is also an opioid drug. It's not going to be for human love. It's going to be for euphoria, which is a drug-induced sense. It's an artificial sense of well-being. And yeah, they might reach for drugs later on because it's their baseline memory of well-being. You see, they might reach for the opioids later on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially if they have damaged oxytocin receptor sites. I'm curious. Uh, in, I'm sorry? Uh, in terms of the timeline, I think I've heard you say that ultrasounds became common practice in 1975. Is that correct? Around. And then what about these other drugs, the Pitocin, the Cytotec, the 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 epidural, all this kind of stuff. Has this been going on since the 50s, 60s, 70s? Like how long's the current model been kind of in operation? I would say the drug model has been in operation probably since the 1930s, 40s. There's different drugs. You know, when I was born in 1958, my mother was given um, what's called twilight sleep. And this is a mixture of Demerol and scopolamine. Scopolamine is called devil's breath. 
because you can tell a person to empty their bank accounts on scopolamine and give you all the money and they will do it and they won't remember that they did it. They have complete amnesia. You know, I I think I saw a documentary about that drug in South America. Mm-hmm. They get they yes. refi- it's like a powder, and they blow it in someone's face, and then they yeah. can rob them and go back to their apartment and take them to the ATM. And the next day, they're like, I don't know what happened. All my shit's gone. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So that was a synthetic version of that drug than the devil's breath. Um. Or was they it? Just- used, they might have used a real thing. You wow. know, in in the twilight sleep. Wow. That was given to my mother. My mother was completely not there during the birth process. And I was born on Demerol. And I was addicted to opioid drugs when I was a teenager. Yeah, me too. So, and you're 10 years younger than me. So obviously it's gone on. Right, right. Okay, it's, it's gone on for... We're getting, we're getting close to 90 years. Wow. This has been going on, the interference with natural birth and the introduction of all of these drugs that are leading to massive emotional, spiritual pain and drug addiction later on. In addition to, we can't find love, we can't find human love and, you know. So what comes next in the process? Where does the... uh, the uh, placenta, the umbilical cord, where does all this stuff come in? Let me just quickly go back to the epidural and say that um, okay. when the mother can't feel her body and can't help her baby get born, there's an abandonment issue in that alone because the baby has to do it on its own uh, against unbelievable odds with pitocin contractions coming in. You know, there's no protective sac. Uh, the mother's not helping. And very often the mother's on on her back and there's no, the baby's like being born against gravity all on their own. And they've been separated from their mother. Basically the mother is not able to feel them or help them. So it's, it's, and the baby will experience more pain. You see, because in natural birth, there's natural opiates and beta endorphins and all these natural, beautiful hormones of well-being and love that should be there that are not. But baby needs these hormones and it's not getting them. All the baby is getting is pain. The mother might not feel anything, but the baby's feeling a lot. The baby's being crushed with these contractions and the baby's feeling all alone in trying to get born. And there's a lot else on top of this. Okay, so now you've got uh, the cascade of interventions that have already occurred because you allowed them to induce you, um, which you never should have done unless it was a really serious emergency. Um, So now they're going to say you need a C-section. And now you go in for that satanic ritual, literally, where they've got you on the altar. Your body is completely strapped down. You can't move at all. And I have read, and this is, of course, for your safety, as they cut into your body. And I've read story after story after story of women who were not anesthetized 
and felt every bit of them cutting into her. And with the cesarean section, the baby is, the birth is stolen, the birth victory. All right, when a natural birth happens, the baby has to maneuver through that birth canal. It's got to twist itself and turn itself and find its way. And when, it's, when it succeeds, there's a massive, beautiful thing that occurs in the psyche of the baby that says, I did it. I did it. But with a C-section, that's not the case. The baby, it was stolen. And the imprint is, I can't do it. Somebody has to save me. Somebody has to do it for me. Damn. I wonder if there are any stats on the you know, the level of success in life or ambition in life for babies that are born C-section versus natural. Well, I guess, you know, this, none of this is natural, but let's say C-section versus vaginal. It'd be really interesting to see a study of, you know, how many go-getter entrepreneurs are C-section versus natural birth. You know, people that have that inclination that I can do this, like I've got this, regardless of the, you know, your upbringing and your, your parents instilling that confidence and self-worth in you. But that makes so much sense. I, I, I bet based on what you're telling me that there is some correlation with your first experience in life being like, yes, I can't do this. Right. That that's got usually there's this, you know, the baby will try and try and try and work so hard. And you'll see this in a lot of adults. Like I keep trying, I keep trying and I just can't seem to to get it no matter what I do. And this could be a C-section imprint. Hmm. You know, this could be a birth trauma that needs to heal. Right. And, and part of what we're doing today is hopefully to bring some of this into the consciousness. So people can say, maybe that's part of what's happening for me. And maybe I need to explore my birth and try to heal any birth trauma that I may have had so that my life can proceed uh, without so much struggle and I you know and I want success I don't want to have to say somebody else has to do it for me I want to know that I can do it what comes next in the process when a baby is born I may be missing something here but they're going to cut the cord They're going to cut the umbilical cord. Now, keep in mind, when the baby's born, the baby comes out, the umbilical cord is still attached to the baby, and the placenta, and the placenta is inside the mother. So it's like the baby is still receiving a tremendous amount of blood and oxygen through the blood that's coming through that umbilical cord to the baby. Babies are not breathing when they're born. They don't breathe in the womb. They get all their oxygen through the blood. 
So that's why I laugh at the idea that, you know, oh, the umbilical cord was wrapped around the neck. It doesn't matter. They're not breathing. I mean, it only matters if the umbilical cord is compressed and, and the blood supply is being cut off. Then it's an issue. But if it's just wrapped around the neck, it's not a big deal. But they make it a big deal. They, they make it a reason to inflict C-section and everything else. But when they clamp the cord, they're cutting off the baby's oxygen supply and forcing the baby to gasp in desperation for its life. That's number one. Oh, shit. Okay, that's just number one. Number two, that blood, that cord blood, contains stem cells and vital nutrients that are necessary for the baby to develop properly. When they clamp the cord, they collect that blood, that cord blood, and they sell it. And who are they selling it to? People like Peter Thiel, who runs PayPal, who is getting injections of young blood in order to stay youthful. So they're giving your baby's cord blood to Satanists who have for centuries used infant blood and children's blood to enhance their own existence. They drink it, they bathe in it, they have it injected into their systems. In a natural scenario, what become you know a, a mother and child in the wild ancient humans having birth like that what becomes of the umbilical cord how does it is it severed at a certain point or does the baby stay connected to it for a number of minutes or hours what would happen if we were just left alone and it's totally do- left alone i mean the baby will be born maybe 10 20 30 minutes later the placenta will come out to the baby the umbilical cord and the placenta are one unit now okay And the mother's separate now. Mm -hmm. Everything's come out of her body. But a lot of people, you know, a lot of indigenous cultures view that placenta as a spiritual being, a a guardian angel of the baby. And in some cultures, fathers have very strict protocols they need to follow to protect the baby's placenta and the umbilical cord because they have an understanding that if the wrong people get their hands on it, that their baby could be negatively influenced by the dark side throughout its life. So they're aware, there are cultures on this earth that are aware of the importance of the placenta and the umbilical cord, the spiritual importance, okay? Very significant. Never, ever let anybody get their hands on your baby's placenta or umbilical cord. This is critically important. If you're doing a natural birth, a home birth, what you'll see is when the, when, the, when the baby first comes out, the cord will be pulsing. You'll see the blood moving through it. You'll, it'll be like blue, purple, gorgeous. I have pictures. You wouldn't believe how beautiful 
the color is, you know, you'll see the blood that's going into the baby. And you'll see that the, the cord is kind of like knotted. It's, it's got knots in it and it wraps around. Um, eventually, the blood will be less. The, un, the cord will unravel, like the knotting will disappear. And eventually, the cord will turn white. Okay, this means that the baby has received all of the blood that it needs for its well-being, for a proper immune system, for proper lung development, for all the stuff your baby needs, okay, has gotten to the baby, and now it is safe to cut the cord. Only then is it safe to cut the cord. That's insane. So what you're telling me is in a standard hospital birth that they're clamping that cord to cut off the oxygen to make the baby force gasp in air and breathe prematurely, taking that blood, selling it off so the baby's not getting those vital stem cells and those nutrients and that just gets discarded or sold or whatever, put in the hazmat bin. And then that baby's just left with like a partial supply of its first seed of life blood then. It's extremely traumatizing to the That's baby. You can see pictures of it. And then, you know, and believe me, it's not going in the hazmat bag. They're selling this blood. Okay. Um, and then they're going to get fathers. You see, they're going to say to the fathers, Would you like to cut the cord? Would you like to initiate your baby into the satanic realm? They get fathers to play that role. It's very, very deceptive and very dark. Babies, babies are severely traumatized. You can see pictures of it, Man. of how bad they're affected when you cut that cord because they're being forced to separate from something that they're not ready to be forced with, to be separated from, okay? Right. Right. And that's a spiritual being. They consider that a spiritual guardian angel, a spiritual twin that's there to protect the baby. When you respect that and you, let's say, you're wise and you bury the placenta in a special place on the earth, a place that you've created for your children and planted a tree there. Your child can go there throughout its life and reconnect with the energy of its placenta and of that energy of spiritual protection and renewal. I mean, the placenta will actually break down its own body if the mother is malnourished and the baby needs more nourishment, literally, the placenta is a living being. Wow. You can, wow. yeah, you can see it. Like people have reported in lotus birth, lotus birth, they actually leave the baby and the placenta attached until the, the umbilical cord falls off, which can take three, five, ten days. You know, and you can see when the baby's nursing, the placenta starts pulsing. What? It's alive. Wow. And it's responding to the baby being nourished properly, you know? Wow. So it's a trip, dude. I mean, like this is, (laughs) we don't know a lot. You know, we, we only have the benefit of midwives and parents who've gone through the natural process and done lotus birth to testify to what I'm saying to you. And all the the indigenous cultures that have all of these protective rituals around the placenta, some of which I've written about in my birth trauma book. So I recommend people get the birth trauma book. 
For sure. Yeah, we're going to put it in the show notes. Absolutely. And I can't wait till mine arrives. Normally, I read someone's book before I interview them. But frankly, when I found you, I just couldn't wait. I'm just like, this is urgent. Humankind needs this information because we've just all been, you know, unknowingly indoctrinated into this is the way things are and this is the safe way to do it. But as someone who's done a lot, a lot of trauma work myself and much in the past couple of years, really, that trauma work has led me back to the birth process. That's like the rabbit hole as I go down. Okay, something happened at 10 years old, something happened at eight, something happened at five, something happened at four. And then at the end of that is like, oh shit, it was on the first day. That's where it all began. And I'll maybe go into that in a moment, but uh, I just... It happened happened at conception and through gestation too. (laughs) Right, they're even (laughs) further... Yeah, when you go into that, you're going to see how a lot of the birth is a repeat of what happened in gestation. It's amazing. This stuff is amazing. Wow. Um, Okay, so let's maybe go into what would happen next then. Uh, Let me quickly say they're going to do things like they're going to put poison burning gunk in your baby's eyes and tell you your baby needs it. Um, so that it doesn't go blind. In fact, the baby won't be able to make eye contact. Eye contact is a primary means for the neurobiology of love to activate at birth. So they're going to block it by putting that burning poison gunk in the baby's eyes. They're going to put a hat on the baby's head. The baby's head is actually releasing pheromones. Like you could smell your baby's head. And that is part of how you bond with your baby. Is that why babies smell so good? Like when you smell yeah. baby's head, there's no other smell like that. Yes. So it's all for purposes of the parents recognizing that child as their own and activating the neurobiology of love. The pheromones, the eye contact, skin to skin. They're going to prevent the skin to skin contact um, by doing things like swaddling the baby, wrapping the baby up in toxic blankets that have been washed in toxic chemicals so that you can't, all you smell is the chemicals. You can't smell your baby at all. The hat, the blankets, the gunk in the baby's eyes, you can't, the baby can't smell you really because it's like, I don't know. I mean, they're, ra- they're wrapped up like a little mummy, essentially. And half the time, they're not even with their mothers or fathers. Okay? They're separated immediately. They're put, they're put on scales to be weighed and measured and hurt and injected with neurotoxic poisons and circumcised. It might happen before the mother even gets to hold her baby. I've heard people's, people where the baby's... The baby's coming out butt first, and they cut the cord before the baby's head is even out. Or they might do a circumcision before the baby's head is even out. Wow. This is how insane it can get. Wow. And it has gotten. If the baby's coming out butt first. So... So with the, okay, I want to, I want to back up to something. I can tell this is, is meaningful to you. And I'm only laughing because I'm just in shock. Like I, yeah, exactly. I, I didn't know it was this bad. It's like, what, wow, this is, it's going to take a while to integrate this, I think. But <laughs> something that has always seemed off to me, again, I always just go back to hunter gatherer natural humans, what we would do in the wild. And trust me, I don't want to go live in the wild. Like I love having air conditioning. I'm in, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go rough it, but I, I do. 
have a sense that most of our problems have to do with the fact that we're born in the way we are and then that we spend our whole life indoors. You know, I read the other day that uh, the average American spends only 7% of their lifetime outside. And I'm like, no wonder you end up in the hospital. <laughs> you go back inside because all you've done is be inside. But um, the thing that I was wanted to touch on was you mentioned the eye contact. And I, I, I'm hoping that this is becoming less rare, but I don't know many men that have been in the room when their kid was born. I mean, I think I have a lot of new agey friends and so I think it's becoming more common, but it seems to me that the father should naturally be the first eyes that are there yeah. as the baby comes out. Is that correct? And if, correct. if what's not happening there? <laughs> well, you've got these medical usurpers stepping in and uh, blocking the father's role. They're catching his baby. Never. That should never, ever happen. Nobody should touch your baby before you do. This is for the men out there. You need to be front and center at the birth of your child. This is very, very important. You need to catch your baby. You need to be the first one to look in the baby's eyes. You need to take your baby and place your baby on your beloved's chest. Right? And then the three of you need time to bond. Okay, and if they try to come in and do anything at that time, the father needs to say no. Be be right over that mother and their baby and that baby, and do not back off. Don't let them get you. The first hour after birth is the most important in terms of proper bonding. Okay, if they take that baby away for any reason during that first hour, it's going to be really disrupted bonding. And it's going to influence the family. Wow, that makes so much sense. You know, in uh, yes, it's a good time to, to drop this in because we're probably going to get to incubators. Uh, and actually, I want to dive a bit more into circumcision, but I'll just give an anecdotal report here. As I said, as I've gone deeper into some of the traumas in my life in an effort to heal and become a fully holy, integrated person that's capable of love and intimacy and all the wonderful things that I now experience with my with my partner, Allison, um, which is the first time in my life, by the way, at 49, I've ever been able to do that. It took a lot yeah. of work and a lot of pain to get here. But um, about a year and a half ago, uh, after being sober for, you know, I was, uh, as you indicated, I was an addict um, in my teen years and 20s. And um, I'm 24 years sober now, just about. And um, when I was 22 years sober, I went to Costa Rica and did ayahuasca, uh, four ceremonies. And it was a beautiful experience. I've podcasted about it a lot. Um, but on one of those four nights, uh, I didn't have any discernible psychoactive effect of that medicine. I just kind of laid there and was like, wow, tonight's not as fun as last night because the night before I had all these revelations and oneness with consciousness and God. And it was amazing and you know, just profound realizations. But way toward the end of the night, it was almost, uh, almost dawn. And I just kind of dozed off and I had a little bit of a daydream. Again, not hallucinating, not having visuals, none of that, but just kind of a little daydream or a night dream, I guess, as it were, a lucid dream perhaps. And I saw this kind of vision of my what ended up being my birth. So I was in a hospital and I saw a hallway. There was a door. I opened the door and there was my mother giving birth to me. And I came out and the nurses uh, uh, put me on my mother's chest and she was crying, you know, and ecstatic and happy and loving, and it was beautiful. And then a few moments later, the nurses whisked me away and they carried me by myself down the hall and put me in an incubator and just left me there alone. 
And I kind of just came out of that little thing and thought, oh, that's that's weird. I don't know why my mind went there, like what what that was all about. And the next day, just out of curiosity, I sent my mom a text and I said, hey, mom, I had this kind of vision last night on ayahuasca and here's what it was. And I gave her every detail and she texts me right back and she said, wow, that's it's fascinating because that's exactly what happened when you were born with the exception that uh, I was wrapped in a blanket because in the vision, I was just on her chest bare, you know? She said, no, they wrapped you up in a blanket and then I could hold you for a few minutes and then they took you away. And the other part that I didn't know that she told me that wasn't in the vision was that my dad was in the hallway. And so I got to glance at him briefly because he had arrived a little bit late. And then they did in fact take me and put me in an incubator for a number of days uh, due to... Uh, according to her and what she was told that her water hadn't broken. And so there was a risk of infection or something like that. So they kept me in there, but (sighs) packing that as a, I guess when I discovered that a 48 year old man, I realized it was so obvious to me where my abandonment issues had come from and why it has been so difficult throughout my life to allow myself to be vulnerable to intimacy and to be in love and to be in healthy relationships and why I've just struggled with that so much, even though I've done so much work and I've grown so much spiritually and I've been sober all these years and just, I've done pretty well for myself in terms of my development. But that was just so informative to me that the very beginning of my life, it was like the message I got is you're alone. And that aloneness is really what fueled my drug addiction and all of the self-abuse and all of the dangerous situations I put myself in uh, where I was further traumatized. And it really was like, well, now we're going back with you to even before that, the conception and all that. But it was it was such a, um, a powerful realization and just the awareness of that, just like the awareness of the circumstances around circumcision led to my healing. But I'm so grateful that I was able to learn that about the beginning of my life because it's given me a starting point and connected so many of those dots so that now I can you know, have a, a starting point to build myself up and, and have the acknowledgement of that and, and move on from that experience, from that trauma. Something else I want that, that, that I'm being asked to, to share about it, and that is um, the terror of allowing love to come in and that it, then you're, you're going to lose it. Yeah. Because it sounds like you had a few moments of love with your mom mm-hmm. and then they took it away. Right. And so there's that terror. If I, if I let myself feel that love, then it's going to disappear on me. It will go yeah. away. Yeah. Or, or somebody will take it away from me. Yeah. So it's so emotionally and spiritually deep. Yeah. How this influences us. You know, I have to say bravo for how far you've gone in terms of uh, recognizing a core piece for yourself of what's what's been driving. Yeah, well, it's incredible. You know, as you start diving in through whatever means you do, you, as I said, you just, you go deeper and deeper and deeper into this because these patterns emerge as an adult in, in this dysfunctional way of thinking, feeling, behaving, this lack of connection to people and lack of connection to God. And I guess I've just been driven to find out like, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. And in an effort to find out why, um, a lot of it has been healed, you know, and it's just, I'm completely renewed through my relationship with God and through being 
willing and courageous enough to face some of these dark memories that are even pre-memories or ones that have re-emerged, you know, and it's, um, it's not fun work, but the payoff is immeasurable, you know, because as I said, now I'm just at a place in life where I've been able to work through so many of those things and I'm more capable than ever of loving another person and being loved. And, you know, my relationship with my parents is beautiful and it's just, you know, there is, there is hope on the other side of this, but the hope is in really looking at the darkest shadow and some of those things we experience. And I think allowing yourself to feel the emotions around that, allowing your body to finally process all of it. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the memories won't come until you're, you're capable of dealing with it emotionally. And what is, what's the deal with um, incubation? What, what's the purpose of that? Does it serve <laughs> any legitimate purpose? Um, why, why is that typically done? You know, mine was in 1970. And as I said, that's the reason they gave my mom. And of course, she's going to listen. It's ridiculous because you might, you know, the water didn't break. Does that mean you were born in the call? Were you born in the sack? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. And they're saying that that's a problem and you should be put in an incubator? That's ridiculous. That's outrageous bullshit. Mm. 100%. So, because you might get an infection, you know, incubators are little, uh, they're little cages, basically. And it's not, you know, I, I would imagine, I, I don't know, because I, I haven't lived it myself, but I would imagine there might be an imprint of being trapped. Certainly, yeah. fear of being <laughs> alone, of being yeah. abandoned. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so then after all that fun, um, you know, I don't know at what point I was circumcised, but I, I think pretty sure every guy I know, American guy, has been circumcised because they don't know any different unless I tell them to listen to my podcast or something. And then then they find out that it wasn't normal and that they've been harmed. But uh, for people that haven't heard the episode I did, what's the standard operating procedure for a circumcision? Because to me, as as you indicated earlier, this is the number one crime that's being perpetrated against young males. Yeah. Um, let me start by saying that the foreskin, it's supposed to cover the glands of the penis, okay? And the foreskin is designed in such a way that when it meets with the, fat, the vaginal wall, it triggers the male brain to produce neurochemicals of love and bonding. And they're cutting it off. So this is actually going for the jugular in terms of interfering with this baby's ability to become a man that can experience love in the way the creator designed it. They work overtime to hurt us. Okay, So now the glands of the penis is completely exposed. And this is a very vulnerable organ. And it becomes calloused. If you, I could show you pictures, the difference of the glands of an intact penis with the glands of a circumcised penis. And you can see just the exquisite moisture and sensitivity of the intact penis compared 
to the circumcised penis that's had to become rough and callous because the glands is rubbing against underwear and zippers and all kinds of stuff, being exposed to all kinds of stuff that it should never be exposed to. So this, of course, is also going to reduce sensation for the man. And it, it interferes with sexuality on a number of levels in the sense that um, the rim of the penis is exposed, the rim at the base of the glands. And when the, when the circumcised penis enters a vagina and pulls out, the fluids of the vagina get pulled out under the rim with it. That would not happen with an intact penis because when you pull out the foreskin covers it and all the moisture. So you're essentially scooping out, an uncircumcised man is essentially scooping out with the head of his penis, the natural lubricant sent in the vagina. So this is causing an unnatural drying of the female vagina for which women are going to blame themselves, but it's not the woman. And for which our society is forced then to purchase all kinds of lubricants and toxic stuff in order to have normal intercourse. There's a lot going on here that they've done in order to interfere with proper sensation, proper bonding, um, and, and I'm assuming you've uncovered in your work on pornography a correlation between circumcised men and the lack of sensitivity on your sex organs, necessitating the need for more, uh, you know, novelty, variety, more intensity, psychologically, whatever, because the lack of sensitivity on an intact penis, right? Yeah, it, it may require um, increased pounding. In order to gain to gain enough sensitivity to reach orgasm, right? Yeah. Right. Whereas you know, just moving an intact penis, <laughs> the, the foreskin has so many nerve endings. Right. It's unbelievable when you when you read stories of men that were circumcised in adulthood for health problems. They'll tell you, you know, what they felt before and after. Well, in that uh, in that film, American Circumcision, there's interviews with a number of men that are intact, and they the way they describe their sexual experience is insane. They have multiple organ. They have like the orgasmic potential of women. Like they have multiple orgasms, a bunch of different types of orgasms. I mean, they're when I hear these men describe their experience of sexuality, I it's completely foreign to me. I'm like, what? I've never heard of that. Never experienced that. It's kind of just one way. And, you know, I'm not, I mean, it's good. It's fine. It's better than nothing. But, you know, it's such a shame that so many men have been robbed of their full sexual expression and sensation by having those organs mutilated. No, my feeling is that um, to the extent that orgasm triggers the neurochemicals of love and bonding, it's a very beautiful thing. All right, and we we have unfortunately focused on that, and Brendan does in his work that the sexuality piece of orgasms that's a big deal, you know. And I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but really the end goal is going to be love. The end goal is going to be enduring, fulfilling human love, which is really what we should be focusing on as um, the most important thing of all. So. 
all these multiple and expanded orgasms. I mean, it's all, so what? The point is love. Okay. <laughs> whatever, whatever, you know, physical, fleeting physical sensations are not that critical. What is critical is what's going to produce the neurochemicals of love and bonding. Right. Um, and, and they're trying to interfere with that by taking off the foreskin. There's no question. That's part of what they're doing. And what is the, uh, what is the, the procedure like in terms yeah. of the needles, anesthesia, things like that? I've heard you describe it as having your, you know, that, that foreskin when it's attached naturally to, to separate that from the head of the penis is akin to pulling your toenails off or something like that. What, what's you, that happening? About it, yeah. let's, let's talk about the procedure itself. And first, you should know that the babies are put in a board called a circumstraint. It's a little board with a cutout body for the size of a baby. And his little arms are strapped in and his legs are strapped in. And the only thing the baby can move now is his head. Okay. Very often... They will arouse the baby to get the baby erect, to make the penis easier to work with. 96% of the time in the United States, there is no anesthetic, zero, nothing whatsoever. And now they're going to take a very sharp metal probe now think about the glands of the penis is adhered, the foreskin is adhered to the glands of the penis. It is not separate. Just like your fingernails are adhered to your fingers, the foreskin is attached to the glands. And they take their sharp metal probe and they shove it in between the glands and the foreskin. And then they systematically cut because the gland surrounds, uh, the, the foreskin surrounds the glands. So now they cut around the entire glands to cut off the entire foreskin. All of this is done without anesthetic with infants who are screaming sounds if you ever watch a video of a circumcision you'll never hear sounds like this anywhere else because you're hearing the sounds of sexual torture and at some point if the infant is lucky he will dissociate not all infants can dissociate but some of them can and you'll see the baby's eyes will glaze over the baby's heart rate slows down. All systems are geared toward just a very basic level of survival while the spirit leaves the body because of the excruciating torture being experienced by the infant. In some cases, they use very grueling instruments, which I won't go into detail about the gomco clamp and um, things that will crush the foreskin. 
I mean, really insane, sadistic, cruel, unbelievable, unbelievable sick minds behind this, every aspect of this. And then the foreskins get sold for cosmetics. You know, Oprah puts foreskins in her skin cream. And um, so we have extremely satanic shit going on with baby, baby blood and baby body parts being sold and consumed. With, uh, with the circumcision, we've all been brainwashed, and especially those men, I think, that are having a difficult time facing their trauma, <clears throat> is that we've been brainwashed to believe that there's some sanitary, antimicrobial uh, disease prevention uh, theory behind this. Have you seen any indication ever that there's any legitimate reason medically to do this to, to boys? No, I have not. I've seen just the opposite. Multiple studies, even by the U.S. Navy, that shows um, circumcised men actually have higher rates of sexually transmitted diseases and HIV. Um, this is because the glands is exposed. It's not protected by the foreskin. And it's very vulnerable. You know, if you get a little, you know, slit in the glands, things can travel. Right, right. Into it. Um, and there's no protection because the foreskin's been cut off. The foreskin is designed to protect the glands of the penis because the glands is so sensitive. It's designed for other things as well. The foreskin has multiple functions, not the least of which is human love. Um, but no, if you're circumcised, you're going to be more prone to sexually transmitted diseases and HIV, according to the science. Wow. And if people are interested in that, you know, I have a lot of links. It's all over the internet, too. I mean, there's a lot of people on this right now. Doctors Opposing Circumcision, there's a website um, for that. And they'll tell you the science. They'll tell you what happens to the baby's brain. It never goes back to baseline. The baby's... The baby's got so much trauma yeah the brain, the brain never returns to its baseline place and it makes baby boys incredibly sensitive you know uh the boys have been so badly harmed they're attacking the men they are attacking the male energy it's a chronic, now extremely heightened state of attack against men, in particular white men. Um, and they're not going to back down because they view white men as their biggest threat. Hmm. Um, but it starts very early. The attack begins very early. And when you have an imprint of such helplessness, and, you know, abandonment by your parents and betrayal by your parents and by these people who are doing it, this is going to affect your psyche. And it's also going to affect your ability to protect your partner in labor. This is really big for the men. Let me say that a lot of men go into a hospital 
and will go into parasympathetic shock, meaning that's exactly what you did during circumcision. You went into shock. You may have dissociated. When you go into parasympathetic shock, you do that as a way to survive. That's when it's like you're in, you're in sort of a, um, almost a catatonic state. You know how in, in animals, they can fight or flee, and if they can't fight or flee, they'll freeze? That's what babies do also. They can't fight. They, they're strapped. All they can do is move their head and scream. They can't flee, and so they freeze. They go into parasympathetic shock. This may happen. This may become a baseline memory of what your body does when you're confronted with something that is terrifying to you or just a confrontation in general. Men may freeze, circumcised men. This may happen in the hospital when you're attending the birth of your child in the hospital. You may freeze and you may not be able to protect and defend your child. And this can be the beginning of the end for your marriage because that woman needs you to protect her and to protect the baby. The woman needs the man to be able to protect her and the baby. And if the father can't, the woman doesn't have the understanding of what I just told you. Okay, All the woman knows, and this is on a very unconscious level, he didn't protect me and he didn't protect the baby. I can't trust him to do what we need him to do. This is wow. all unconscious. That's so interesting because there's, it's quite common in my observation that um, with some couples that after the woman gives birth, that the woman starts to lose respect for the man. And, you know, part of that is just inherently that she's devoting her time and energy to her infant, I'm sure. But I mean, I've known men that everything changed when they had the baby and she lost yeah. respect. And I, I'm sensing it might have something to do with that in some cases. Yeah, I've heard men say, you know, I went to the hospital with my wife and I lost her there. You know, it's just never the same. But that's because of the medical establishment. Right. They're deliberately doing these things. It's going to break down marriages. Right. It's one of the hugest parts of why marriages are breaking down. You see, childbirth is designed to be the, the fulfillment of love between two people. It's the, the grandest thing that two people can ever experience is creating a life together. Two people that really love each other. Okay? When that's interfered with and undermined and there's so much trauma and the men have been so traumatized that they can't step up and say, hey, dude, fuck off. You're hurting my wife or you're hurting my baby. Okay? It's going to cause a ripple effect in the marriage, all of it, every aspect of what they're doing is going to cause a very negative effect in the marriage and is designed to do so. Wow. You have to see the big picture here. Yeah. Okay, this is not an accident. They want to break up marriages. This has been their goal for decades to break down the marriage system, to break down the family, break down 
Get your hands on the kids so that they can be indoctrinated into the Luciferian order. And we are there big time right now. As I said, I would have thought that sounded crazy a few years ago, but it's becoming increasingly apparent that there is definitely some forces for evil uh, at play. Well, uh, Janice, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, especially those that have never heard this kind of information, are probably having their own little trauma response right now. So, I'd like to, as we bring things to a close. give people some hope of alternatives. You know, how do we, uh, what are some resources for natural childbirth and, um, you know, even uh, healthy conception, love-filled conception? Like what's what's the opposite of this abhorrent process look like? Working with a doula, home birth, all this kind of stuff. What What's kind of an overview of what that looks like in this day and age and how accessible is that for people? Well, it's accessible for people if people um, decide that they want it, you know. Um, Rule number one is control your carnal behavior. This is absolutely necessary. Conceive your babies consciously with someone that you love and you trust, that you know you have similar life goals, similar visions for the future, that is not going to abandon you, that is not, in the case of the women, that is not, you don't want to have a womanizer man. You know, you want to feel safe with this person before you make a baby with them. You want to know they're not going to circumcise, they're not going to vaccinate. You need to be on the same page. You know what I'm saying? Very important. All of this is very, very important. I would strongly suggest healing your birth trauma, really, really seeking to work on healing your birth trauma. I offer that kind of work. If people are interested, go to my website at birthofanewearth.com or email me at janiceparcello at yahoo.com. There's many things to do in preparation for conception. Preparing a proper space for that, preparing your body, right? You want to not only heal your trauma, but you want to be eating right, getting rid of all the radiation in your environment. There's a lot of steps to this. So I have a 20-week parenting program that I really want to promote. Please do. The next one starts in uh, October. So that program really takes people from preconception through the parenting. It's going to take through every step of the process in order to create the best possible outcome for you and your beloved and your, your child. In other words, the whole program is designed toward helping the preservation of love and families. Wow. creating the condition in order to preserve love and families. And it's a process of unraveling our past, what's happened to us, healing that past, and understanding the keys. What do we need to do to create the right conditions to bring a child in, in the gentlest and most loving way? Uh, I can't say to people, you know... <clears throat> Just do a home birth. Because I can say what happened to me. 
I just did a home birth. I mean, I prepared for the home birth. What I had missed is I didn't heal my birth trauma. Ah, yeah. You see? And so my birth trauma activated massively during my home birth. And then it affected the life of my, the short life of my daughter. And my marriage broke down, of course. My daughter died. And, you know, I loved him so much, my husband. It was the deepest love I ever knew. And I've never felt it with anybody. I had another husband before that who I loved. But I never experienced the neurobiology of love until my second husband. Something I should have experienced at birth. I never had it. Until my second husband, I only had it very few times. It's very physiological. It's amazing. This beautiful flood of neurochemicals of well-being. It's just enormous, enormous. And it should happen at birth. And it should happen with mother, father, and baby. All making eye contact with each other. Skin to skin. You know, in a loving environment in a gentle setting, without intruders, and without trauma. Mm-hmm. This is the, you know, childbirth is the key to bonding a family or breaking it up. This is really something not a lot of people talk about, but it is a key. So there is a way through, and if someone's willing to do the work and to really go within and work on themselves and, and the creating the container of the relationship that's healthy and intimate and vulnerable and able to hold space for this third entity that's going to arrive, then there are resources there that are, I, I'm assuming, are becoming more abundant now just because I see buzz of you know more home births, natural births doulas i mean it, i you know i haven't done a lot of research on it but it, it it does come in the periphery of my awareness just doing what i do it seems to be something that's becoming more common yeah doulas are really common right now and that's a good thing you know if they know what they're doing mm-hmm. i trained as a doula and then stopped and i'm just going to tell you why because doulas are trained to support mother in their choices right to give mother the best possible birth experience but they'll support a mother that will circumcise her son They'll support a mother that's vaccinating. See, I won't. Right. No, I can't do it. I can't stand by and watch as this mother is choosing to harm her child. That doesn't sit right with me. So I couldn't be a doula. Right. I mean, (laughs) I I have to assume that, uh, that not all doulas are created equal, that there have to be many holistic ones that are in alignment with these values that you speak of though, right? I don't know too many doulas that are are well-versed in birth trauma. Okay. really don't. A lot of doulas are doulas because they have birth trauma, and they're actually seeking their own healing through the work that they're doing. They become involved in in birth work. Interesting. To effectuate their own healing, they may end up re-traumatizing themselves, uh, which happens a lot, by witnessing traumatic births again and again. But... Yeah, so it's, I, I think doulas can be really helpful if they're conscious of the birth trauma. They have to be conscious of birth Got trauma. It. Got it. And okay. same thing with a midwife. You have to have a midwife, you know, that'll ask you, what was your own birth like? That has enough awareness 
about this issue to at least ask you what was your own birthday? You know, because if you were born at home, the chances are you're going to be able to have a home birth no problem because you don't have the kind of trauma of most people that were born in hospitals. So say right now uh, a couple gets pregnant and they're in a healthy, loving relationship and they want to avoid the medical system altogether. Uh, Could one just, you know, go through the different stages of pregnancy and then just hang out at home when labor happens and just have a baby? I mean, like what's necessary in terms of, you know, I see people with a kiddie pool and, you know, there seems to be a kind of a a process that one goes through. How does one find out how to do that safely? And is there any point at which you even need to go to a doctor if you've both, you know, been detoxing and leading a healthy lifestyle and cleaned up the EMF in your environment, et cetera? What I would suggest if it's um, your first birth, there's probably going to be a lot of nervousness, especially if you were born in hospitals, <laughs> mom and dad. And so if you're, if you're set on, you want to do a home birth, number one, try to explore your own birth and heal it. Number two, look for what's called a certified professional midwife instead of a certified nurse midwife. Got it. Certified professional midwives are trained to do home birth. They're usually very conscious of birth trauma issues and um, will be more supportive of you than a nurse midwife who are trained in the medical model and who often use a lot of medical protocols in the, even in a home birth. Okay, so there's varying levels of midwives that are available, but if you want to do a home birth, uh, try to find a certified professional midwife. Really try to consider your own birth, to look into it, but ideally before you conceive. But if you find yourself pregnant already, still do it. Try to, try to move out anything that might um, cause interference with the birth of your child. Try to resolve that prior to the birth. And in your course, do you walk through the process of how to shop for one of these qualified midwives and things like that? Is it, is it kind of a start to finish process or is it more about the psychological and the bonding and all that? Or are there more tactical tools given as well? Well, there's two ways I do things. I can work with people who are already pregnant, you know, in pregnancy um, and give them specifics about certified professional midwives, who they might be. In the course itself, I don't give specifics about certified professional midwives other than to say that's the ideal scenario if you, if you want to do a home birth. There's a lot of focus on birth trauma in the course and tools to heal the birth trauma. So I teach Jinshin, Jinshin Jitsu to all my students and to everybody that works with me privately, individually in preparation for childbirth. Everybody learns Jinshin and how to do self-care because Jinshin is the key. What is is Jinshin? Jinshin is a Japanese system of energy medicine that moves trauma out of the body. And it goes very deep in terms of being able to get to the root of where the trauma started. So it'll take, it'll take it back to prenatal life. 
Like you will be healing your prenatal trauma. You may not be conscious of it, but when you do Jinshin, it'll be healing. It'll be resolving itself just by doing every day one flow. Okay, 15 minutes. You practice Jinshin each day on yourself. It's totally based on self-care. And you will be resolving your trauma. You can go very deep into this system, as I have. I have a lot of different things that I do for myself every day. um, And I have a lot of different things that I teach, depending on what people have experienced themselves. There's different kinds of trauma. So we go deep into Jinshin in in the parenting course and deep into the various kinds of conception trauma prenatal trauma, birth trauma, and deep into the process that we need to take in addition to healing that to prepare ourselves for conscious conception, to prepare the space of love, the Ringing Cedars books, If you have not heard of these books or read these books, they are the most important books I have ever read. Wow. Okay. And I highly recommend them for people who want to create enduring family love and who want to have happy, healthy children and happy, healthy relationships. The Ringing Cedars books are magnificent. Cool. I've never heard of them until now. So we'll, we'll definitely include I, I will provide you a link for where you can get the real Ringing Cedars books. Oh, okay. cool. Okay. We'll put it in the show. They will rock your world. They're the most important books I've ever read. And they're very, you know, they provide a beautiful vision for the future, for the future Earth and how we can get there. And it's happening. It's happening in Russia where the books were published. These kin's domains are going up all over Russia. There's 400 settlements, and the books have only been out for 20 years in Russia. Wow. So it's taking the planet by storm. Russia was the first place they were released because they were released in Russia. So um, the kin's domains are just coming up everywhere. What are these? So creating the space of love. What are these domains what you're referring to? Kin's domains are basically family domains um, that we create with our beloved for the purpose of our family, our family line. It's a place on the earth that's approximately two and a half acres or one hectare. And in that place, everything we create there is for our children. And for the bonding of our family. So we plant a family tree when we first come together with our beloved in our space of love. We plant that family tree. And everything thereafter that we create there, we build our home together. A home that's organic and healthy and radiation free, you know, free of all of the the technocratic uh, interference that would um, break the link between our children and the divine mind. We want to create the space for our children to maintain a link and for us to be able to somehow reconnect with it, although I don't know if we can wholly do it because of how damaged we are. But we can make it so that our children 
will be able to do this. And the Ringing Cedars books will explain all of this. That's to amazing. You. I can't wait. I'm ready. Amazing. I'm ready to go make an EMF proof uh, forest commune right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an amazing so, idea. So the Ken's domains are, are, you know, the settlements are filled with families creating Ken's domains. Wow. And they're doing this in Russia, huh? I've read the Ringing Cedars books. And they're even giving away free land in Russia. You know, they're giving away two and a half acre parcels in Russia, one hectare, to willing families to come and create. Wow. Yeah. So everything written about in the Ringing Cedars books is coming into form. Cool. And they're very potent, spiritual, spiritually speaking. These books are magnificent on every level. And my parenting program is heavily geared. When we get to the part about what we need to do, it's heavily geared toward what is being taught through the Ringing Cedars books. And interestingly enough, my daughter who died, her name is Anastasia. And the heroine of the books, the Ringing Cedars books, is Anastasia. Wow. And, and the first book is entitled Anastasia. And when I found the books, it's the same time I found Jinshin. And I knew that my daughter was talking to me through the books to mm-hmm. say to me, this is the world that I need you to create for me to be able to incarnate and stay because I'm a special soul and I'm destined to do special things, but I need to incarnate into a special world. Wow. And here are the instructions (laughs) of how we can create that world. So they're very, very powerful books. So cool. Thank you for thank you for sharing that and your candid vulnerability around your loss and your life's work. It's been really uh, really a profound conversation. Um, my last question for you is a question I ask all of our guests, and that is who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your work? And I have a feeling you just named one of them. So if you want to give me two more, I'll let you slide with that. Yeah. Well, I gave you two of them. One of them is my Jinshin teacher. Um, her name is Dr. Stephanie Mines. And she's the one that helped me connect what happened during Anastasia's birth to what happened to my own, during my own birth. And, and even prior to that, what happened to my mother and my grandmother. Okay. It's a lineage of trauma. Yeah. So Stephanie Mines was very important. She is, taught me. Is she still around? Stephanie Mines? Yeah. Yeah, she is. Um, and she teaches Jinshin. She taught me Jinshin. Cool. Totally saved my life. Okay. So she's very important. Jinshin is very important. The Ringing Cedars books <laughs> are the second thing that I would say are incredibly important. And, you know, there's a body of work called the template ceremonies. I don't recommend them anymore because they have moved toward the dark side. But when I found these ceremonies, they really also strongly influenced my life and helped me understand the nature of the dark forces. And um, 
gave me some insights into who they are, that they are here, these, these creatures, that they are responsible for what's happening to us. And we got to get rid of them. We have to make them leave the earth. We can't coexist with them because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop trying to hurt us. These are Lucifer's babies, you know, quite literally. They are created by him. And um, they, have, they have a purpose. Their purpose is to destroy us and everything that God created. They hate God. Damn. <laughs> they do. They hate God and they hate wow. us. Wow. And so they take great delight in destroying the earth. That's why you see the earth is in the condition that it's in. Everything has been poisoned. Everything. And we're at the brink right now of either allowing them to take it out and us with it or getting on the path back to God. We either keep walking the Luciferian path, hospital birth, wireless radiation, the whole the whole ultrasound, the whole Luciferian journey where we shift gears and take the path back to the creator's love and back to the good. And you know what I'm talking about because I explained it and you felt it in your soul when I talked about it. You know it exists because you have memories of it prior to the arrival of these creatures into our dimension. Are you, are you optimistic about uh, our chances of overcoming this period of uh, dark age that we've been in? Uh, to me, it seems this is really coming to a pinnacle at this point when you see the exposure of the mainstream media and you see so many just moderate average people starting to awaken to some of these harsh truths. It, it's like we're, you know, we're waking up from a nightmare, but I see even, you know, my my girlfriend Allison uses this app TikTok and it's like a lot of younger people on there. And but you know, listen though, she sends me these videos of these kids in their 20s and they're like calling out the, you know, Clinton crime syndicate and their Hello. FBI reports and, you know, um just all kinds of like stuff that would have been so out there conspiracy theory that only older people really were privy to years ago. And it's like, yes. I'm going, how do young people know about this stuff? It's like, I think with the advent of the internet, it let the genie out of a bottle. And even with the censorship we're experiencing now, there's no way to hide their tracks anymore is the sense I'm getting. Well, it they've also totally shown their cards. Yeah. Look, look at Look at it now. There's no way you cannot see this. Yeah. They're trying to take over the earth. 100%. They yeah. are attempting to take over this earth and not only take it over, they're, they're trying to lock it down with this whole matrix, this whole electronic grid, this whole wireless grid. This wireless grid needs to be shut down and we can shut it down with our thought. That's how powerful we are if we came together to do it. Yeah. Okay. But they're going to, they're trying to lock this planet down electromagnetically. Are you so? Are you optimistic about our our future in the event that more people continue to awaken and actually exercise the power that each of us possess spiritually? Yes, I have no doubt of uh, you know God wins. There's yeah. no there's no question about this, but this is a very interesting time 
where we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice whether we're going to follow the Luciferian path, whether we're going to follow these creatures into smart city hell. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That, that's their end game, right? Yeah. They have very few people left on the earth. They've killed off many of us with their radiation. And they only have, you know, 500,000 people, whatever, whatever number they want, who are going to be slaves to them in their smart cities. And that's what they want. See, they're not affected by the radiation. They're not like us. Okay? They're not, they're not like us. They have no feelings. So we can follow that path, and we have been. We've been marching into their hospitals and, you know, <laughs> using their wireless devices and participating almost 100%, watching TV, all of it. Or we can say, no, no way. No way am I going that way. I am. The TV's out the window. The wireless devices are in the fucking trash. Okay. Every single one of them. And I'm going the other way. I'm going to a rural place right now. For the next however many years, they may get their new world order for a short time. But it's not going to last. And what, what it will come to if we do not make the right choices is that those of us who are still alive are going to create some kind of upheaval that takes out their grid. Because the wireless system is the key to their control system. Your cell phones are a key to their control system. If you do not let them go, you're going to pay a heavy price, and your children are going to pay the highest price. I tried to walk up to a pregnant couple today. The mother was out to here. They had another child in a stroller, this couple. And they're both on their phones. The mother's right here, right on her belly. And I just said, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt your day, but I wonder if you understand how much radiation is coming out of your phones and what that might be doing to your baby. Well, the father was so hostile and aggressive toward me. I could have shown him in a millisecond with my meter what was going on, and he could have acted to protect his child. This is a choice. Do you choose evil or do you choose good? Which are you going to choose? And if you choose evil, it's only going to cause suffering. For you and the children, your children, your bloodline won't make it, you see. You're going to make your kids sterile, brain damaged, perhaps autistic, um, and a variety of other illnesses that will occur because of what you're doing, what, what you're exposing them to. Yeah. So I, this is a big part of the parenting program also, is to teach people how to get rid of the wireless devices. In fact, your program is amazing. Thank you. What it's teaching people about this energy. Well, 
as someone who's very EMF sensitive, like you are, uh, as you indicated earlier, um, it's just, you know, it's out of self-interest that I had to figure all this stuff out for myself. Yeah, me too. I started to do that over the course of 20 years. I figured, well, God, I'm probably not the only one that could benefit from this. So that's why I created that course. And I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. You did a great job. Thank you. Really? Try to make it accessible and simple for people and, you know, allow people to tackle the problem in stages because not everyone's willing to do what you said. I mean, I got my iPhone sitting right here. When you say get rid of your wireless, I'm like, uh-uh, I need that iPhone. You know? I can't even believe what I'm hearing. But listen, but it's in a radiation-proof case and it's always on airplane mode unless I'm using it for something. So some people... You, know, you can wire that phone. You can just get an adapter and wire yeah. it when you're in the house. You don't need to ever use wireless in your house. Yes. It's ridiculous. I'm aware of that. Yeah. So, but what I'm leading to is that sometimes people need an incremental step by step. A step by step would be go get a 3G flip phone. <laughs> okay. So that it's not pulsing and you're not getting on the internet with your phone. Right. You don't need to be available 24 <laughs> 7. Okay. You can get on the internet through a wired computer. You can run your business perfectly fine like that. Yeah. You don't need to be available 24-7 with a wired device. This is insane. Well, this thank is you. insane. <laughs> thank you for the wake-up call because I think myself and so many of us have become addicted to the accessibility, right? Yes, but why? It's so harmful. But I also remember, you know, I'm a few years younger than you, but I remember when I was a kid and you had to make a phone call. The phone was on the wall and it had the dial on it and it took you like, you know, it hurt your finger. You had to put your finger in there and dial the phone. And and that was fine. You know, for then it was like, because we didn't know any different, it was like, wow, that's so cool. There's a phone on the wall. I can call my friend Jimmy down the street and go play, you know, but we forget that we were doing just fine without that. And before we had GPS and before we had cell phones, everyone was getting around just fine. I used to have maps in my car, right? Want to go, I'd, I'd get out my Thomas guide and I'd look it up and I'd find my way there. And I always ended up where I needed to go, but... That's what I do right now. I get on MapQuest before I'm heading. If I'm going long distance, I get the directions to where I'm going on MapQuest. I write them down and I take the, take it with me. I don't have GPS in my car. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is... This is I mean, uh, I'm so sensitive that I got to drive around with shielding on anyway, shielded hats and shirts. Yeah. no. No, I don't. This is not necessary. It's completely alien. It's a completely alien way of life, and it's harmful to us. Yeah. And if you want to be a parent, it's got to go. All of it. If you want to bring children onto this earth and have them make it, you cannot expose them to this. It's extremely harmful. Amen. All right. Okay, so there I am on my soapbox. <laughs> no, I love to protect the kids, please. No, we, the children we all, are in danger. Please. We, all, we all need a good kick in the ass, Janice, and I, I appreciate your, your efforts. Uh, where can people find your websites, books, social media? What are some good links people can go to that we can put in the show notes for them? Okay, I've been kicked off all social media. My, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Vimeo. Um, I had so many, I've been kicked off of everything. Are you serious? So you've been sent multiple times off of Facebook, multiple YouTube channels. They do not like me. Wow. 
Yeah. They do wow. not like what I'm saying about ultrasound. They do not like what I'm saying about the medical establishment. Um, anyway, you can find me at my websites, birthofanewearth.com and radiationdangers, with an S, dot com. Um, and you can find me on YouTube, although it's not my channel. There's videos on YouTube. There's many more on BitChute because YouTube has banned so many of my talks. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, the the big tech uh, they they have a real uh, <laughs> they have a real hard on for truth. They don't like people sharing truthful information. <laughs> yeah, they deleted my Google account. They deleted my you know nine years of my work. My entire blogspot blog wiped. I can still I mean I still have it, but to try to repost everything. Wow. Yeah, you know they don't like my work. I can see why. Yeah, it's uh... the truth. They don't like being exposed. They're cockroaches, you know? Mm-hmm. You shine a light on them and they run. They don't like it. They don't like it. They yeah. don't like people seeing them for what they are. And I just, you know, I have contempt for these creatures that would hurt so many innocent beings that I, I can't do anything other than shine a light on what they are and what they're doing. Well, That's I appreciate it. So I appreciate it taking the time today happy to do it all right well i think we just about covered it until the next time i'm sure there's plenty more but this is a good overview for people and uh you know i just appreciate your commitment to the work and your tenacity and uh your fire man that's what we need we need <laughs> i used to be a fire dancer you know i <laughs> fire chains fire staff fire ropes hoops oh i can tell it shows all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, next time you be well and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much. I'm visualizing you listeners right now. And I bet quite a few of you are sitting there with your jaws on the floor. So I want to invite you to pick your jaw back up, put it back in place. And uh, just remember that I know, as I said in the intro, Janice uses some terms you know, like satanic and luciferian that might not fit into your paradigm of thought but please again i implore you to check out her books and other interviews where she cites the proof of the claim she made in this conversation and it's quite compelling i have her book sitting right in front of me and uh it's pretty irrefutable i have to say at least the part about how birth is done and some of the dangers involved that we outlined in this conversation so again if you feel called Please share this episode with parents-to-be. And don't feel bad if you're just learning about this information. You were not meant to learn it. That's how the system is designed. But it's the job of people like myself and Janice to share this information with you so that our future generations will have less suffering and more success in life. Again, don't forget to get the show notes and the links to the full transcript of every episode like this one at lukestory.com slash newsletter. Now, next week, we're going to lighten it up a little bit. I'm going to give you guys a break. We're going to be talking about something fascinating and absolutely mind-blowing. It's called the Rasha. That episode is called Quantum Space Travel and the Key to Consciousness Expansion with Dr. Jerry Rivera Duhenio, recorded at Cuixmala in Jalisco, Mexico. And speaking of Cuixmala, we will be back there at the Healing Power of Energy Retreat, January 30th through February 6, 2021. Dr. Rashid Buttar is going to be there, uh, Robert Slovak, 
and of course myself and Jerry. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. The interviews with the three guests that I just mentioned uh, were a preliminary launch to the actual retreat. So we got kind of a warm up and you're going to be hearing the other two interviews coming up in the coming weeks. And uh, I'm guessing that after you hear Jerry's interview next week and the two to follow, you're going to want to join us in Mexico. So go to lukestory.com slash events for more info and tickets. And January is right around the corner. I mean, if we all survive the election and the fallout <laughs> of that, if we still have a world after November, I don't know, it's debatable. We'll see. But if there's still a world, uh, I'm going to be in the world of lovely Quixmala in Mexico. Let's thank our sponsors, man. I mean, honestly, I, I love all of these products. I use all these products. I know I always say that. Some people probably think I'm full of shit, but uh, it's true. I'm very proud to support the brands that support the show. And I'm so happy to share this information with you. I see people on Instagram all the time doing stories with their blue box glasses and chomping down on beekeepers, naturals, honey, and doing their red light therapy from Juve. And uh, it makes me feel really good that I'm able to share these amazing brands with you and also be able to keep plugging away and traveling and doing the episodes like I like to do them, which is for the most part live and in person. I'd also like to uh, let you know that uh, most of these interviews are also, wait, most? No, actually, I think 100% of my interviews also have videos. So just know that if a show is a bit more interactive and you want to see what's going on, you can also find it at YouTube. Uh, at least until they all get censored off <laughs> for having episodes like the one I just did today. So we're in this together, folks. But anyway, our sponsors today are Juve, and they've got some incredible new devices. And for the first time ever, you can get a discount on a Juve by going to juve.com slash Luke and entering the code Luke. However, that is a time-sensitive offer. So if you hear this episode down the road, don't get pissed at me or them when that code doesn't get you a discount anymore. But if you get over there right now, uh, you're going to get a hookup at juve.com slash Luke. Next is protecting your circadian rhythm and your melatonin production with blue blocking eyewear from Blue Blocks. B-L-U-B-L-O-X. Go to blueblocks.com, use the code lifestylist and save yourself 15% off. Last but certainly not least... My sweet friends over at Beekeepers Naturals, the best bee products in the world. I go through this stuff like water, man. It's, uh, it's incredible. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and save 15%. And most of the time, you can also find all of these products at lukestray.com slash store to make it easy. And if there are discount codes, which there are most of the time, you'll find those there as well. So thanks so much for joining me today. You know, I'm sorry to be the bearer of uh, the shocking news that I and Janice delivered, but I just truly believe in my heart that our system is broken and the traditional, or I should say non-traditional way that we give birth is doing a lot of damage to the psyche of the human race. And uh, I'm a huge advocate for getting back to natural ways to bring young'uns into the world. And you bet your ass when I have one uh, someday, if that happens, if it's in the cards, I'll be doing it that way too. So, uh, you know, I have a personal vested interest in learning all I can, especially as a man. Most of us are kind of really kept out of this conversation unless we choose to involve ourselves. And uh, that's what I'm doing. So thank you so much for your kind time and attention. It means so much to me to be able to live my mission and my dharma and have you along for the ride. So come back on Tuesday for the Rasha with Dr. Jerry Rivera Duhenio. See you then.